This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Tuesday to you. And I hope you're having a great day so far. So good, I hope. A little rain here where we live, which makes the drive a lot more fun. And uh, makes the the uh, mid-morning walk a lot more uh, a lot a lot uh, more difficult actually. Yesterday I couldn't go on a walk because it was raining. Well, it was windy and raining. I'm like, I need to walk. I got a gallbladder. I got to work off. I got sludge. Oh well, what do you do? Hey, welcome to the show. We got a great one for you today. Have you noticed uh, any malls closing in your area? Have you heard of J.C. Penney's? Have you heard of Sears? Have you heard of some of these companies? They're struggling. Uh, many filing for bankruptcy. Macy's, in fact, I think is reorganizing. It's uh, it's crazy times. So if that's the case, what's going on? Is this just all because of Amazon.com? Is it just the online companies that are destroying it? Or are there other factors at play? And uh, does it does it say anything about us. Where are we spending our money? Uh, interestingly, restaurants, more and more people are spending money at restaurants. So people will go out to eat. They're just not buying any clothes. This could be a good thing. This could be a sign that we finally are evolving. It's not just about your brand. It's about how much fat you can put in your body. Really? But then the more food you eat, obviously, you do need to buy new clothes yeah. because mm-hmm. you won't well, fit into the you? ones that you had well, before. Maybe you buy one moo. A, you just, a male romper, possibly? A male, oh, oh, that's the saddest thing, I think. That's the saddest news in about the last three months was that men are wearing rompers. Well, it's a Kickstarter, so. Well, it's a male onesie. Yeah, basically. And, uh, With an adjustable waist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got the elastic Cole, is bands. that what you're wearing right now? I see you wearing a romper. Hmm. It really looks like a male onesie, kind of a granimals thing where the bottom matches the top. Yeah. Yeah. It's all one piece. It's all one piece with a nice flexible elastic band in the middle. I think it even buttons, you know, down below. They might have some nostalgic, uh, like, uh, polyester brand if you want to get some of that. Sure. Just to to take you back. Just to take you back to that place you thought you had had outgrown. But instead, nope, they're becoming popular for adult males. Um, anyway, we've got a great show. We'll be talking about the retail meltdown. What's really going on with all of these big retailers? The, the other side of that is, is this a sign of future economic problems? Or is it a sign of... Or is the economy just adjusting and yeah. is actually strong and this is just what happens? I mean, and is it millennials' fault? That there's the oh, other well, of side. Of course it's the millennials' fault. <laughs> Blame them. Who else are we going to? <laughs> Who else comes up Blame with rompers for, for men? Blame it's, the millennials. Uh, it's an interesting thing because more and more we are, we are eating out. We're traveling more than ever. We're just not buying a lot of new clothes. And people don't necessarily like to go to the mall anymore. But you close down like a Macy's and every smaller store around Macy's struggles mm-hmm. because they need Macy's traffic. So – We'll talk about uh, the numbers and and get you some insight into that. And it really is. There is some a pretty interesting – I call it social spending. Mm. We're very social in our spending. Like we'd rather go have a social experience that we can put on um, – that we can put on our Instagram feed than we would go buy a shirt. 
that weird? I know you think that way. Like, what can I put on my Instagram tonight? Right. Absolutely. We better get to. We better get to Taco Bell. Hmm. I mean, that's. I've heard you say that what a dozen times. Absolutely. So we'll get to that. By the way, it's International Axe Throwing Day. Well, hey. So if you've got an axe thing. today, is the day to throw it. Uh, if you've got an axe to grind, not today. We're not grinding axes today. We're just throwing them. So if you're a lumberjack, get ready. This is the day of all the lumberjack this competitions. This is your big day. This is huge. You ever watched the lumberjack competitions before? Uh, yeah, like back in the seventies, I think. Well, no, ESPN will have them, them on every once in a yeah. while, and they have like the uh, they stand up with the huge like really souped up chainsaws yeah. and see if they can do like speed chain, Ooh, chainsaw speed, challenge speed sawing and they do the they do the the axe tossing and they uh, and they see how fast they can straddle a a log and cut it up i guess well they climb a pole cut it in half wow because you know just yeah, yeah. kind of when you're in your topping trees you got to yeah. climb up and do it so there all these different skills log rolling i think is involved oh yeah that might be another event i don't know I guess, yeah, you, you, if you could run on a rolling log down the river. Yeah, it's something you want. I think most of this has moved to the outdoor channel, if that still exists. You won't believe this, but where is where do you think um, uh, the entire kind of International Axe Throwing Day and Lumberjack Day is most popular? What countries? I don't know. Canada and the United States. Oh, okay. It's not so big in Mexico. Really? No, it's weird. Not a big axe throwing no, community. I don't hmm. even know if they have flannel down there. Wow, I know a little warm for flannel. Well, so how do you how do you cut down a log without some flannel? I guess you're right. Anyway, it's also has gained some popularity in Europe, but you know Europe, they're just new in this, so they're they're mm. kind of rookies in the lumberjack world. So today again, celebrating International Axe Throwing Day. Um, also, uh, other crazy stuff we'll get to. I'm sure. Apparently, there's rumors that Donald Trump doesn't want Mueller around. Allegedly. Now, interestingly, it's a leak. Well, the, from his friend, the sources from his friend who was seen at like five thirty leaving the White House, and then at six thirty he was on PBS talking about it. Yeah. But he didn't get that information no. from Trump. Oh, he didn't. That's what the White House is saying. Oh, he got it from somewhere else. Maybe his staff, but they're not saying either. Sounds like a leak. To he me. speaks for himself, right? I mean, do you get rid of the guy investigating you? Like, who? I didn't think you could do that. It worked for Nixon. <laughs> well, sort of. Well, yeah. Actually, it didn't work for Nixon. See, and before, people were trying to make the connection between Comey and that event with Nixon. And uh-huh. now this will be now this know, is gonna the add exact more guy. <laughs> and somehow, it's probably being leaked from Trump himself through a friend. Sounds yeah. Like Comey well, leaked uh, through a friend to a reporter. A, a friend who runs a conservative news website. Exactly. By the way, everybody needs a friend like that. Yeah. Two or three. So we'll get into that. It's fun, I'm sure. Plus, it's a big day. It's a big day. Sessions is going to be grilled today. He wanted it closed. Mm, I'll have a medium rare. He wanted a closed session. The uh, Senate said, no, it's going to be open. So then he put then Sessions put out a letter saying, I am welcoming an open session. Yeah, of course. After he found out that there was no go on the close. So let me get this straight. <laughs> there will be an open session on Sessions. Yes. Sounds awesome. Plus, uh, today's the day for Bill Cosby's. Oh, yeah, there's that. And the championship. 
We got to get to that. We'll get to it. <laughs> All that straight ahead. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? J.P. Morgan Chase has pulled its advertising from NBC News programming until after the channel airs anchor Megyn Kelly's interview with Infowars founder Alex Jones. The Wall Street Journal reports Morgan Stanley, uh, Morgan Chase, excuse me, uh, reportedly yanked all digital and television ads from Kelly's show and from all NBC News programming. Uh, the bank is the first known advertiser to pull its sponsorship in response to the Jones interview. In a tweet on Monday, J.P. Morgan Chase's chief marketing officer condemned NBC's giving platform to Jones, a conspiracy theorist who claims that multiple mass shooting events were staged, including uh, Sandy Hook, Aurora, Colorado. He says 9-11 was an inside job, and he's uh, had these opinions uh, for years. And that's kind of what Megyn Kelly's trying to do is, at least she says, is she's trying to interview him and then challenge him on those topics. The people are having problems, including parents of these children that were killed at Sandy Hook. Right. Who are like, why are you giving this guy any sort of amplification for his thoughts? And her response was, we have to interview everybody. You need everybody out there. And not true, do you? You don't have to interview the most extreme position. You could just actually have moderates on and use a statement from the extreme position. Part of this is she's trying to challenge her from, you know, the image she has from her old job of Fox ah, News yeah. as Open being... Open-minded, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're going to challenge some of these ideas and thoughts that are out there. So we'll see what happens. That uh, apparently airs this weekend. They're trying to put it on Father's Day. Well, not trying. They're going to put it on Father's Day because why not? <laughs> and uh, if you remember last week, a uh, I don't know if we even talked about this, a uh, one of the uh, a woman was uh, charged with harassment as she was leaving threatening phone calls on the parent on the phone on the uh, answering machine of the uh, parent of one of the Sandy Hook victims, one of the children. Ooh, yeah, because the woman in Georgia who was arrested and, and charged and all this was convinced it was fake, so she was calling that family saying threatening them like I will kill you and all this stuff. Because what? she felt they were in on this hoax. The, ho- the, the Sandy hoax Hook of Sandy Hook. That took their child. So that happened last week, and then this is happening now. So the, the kind of a fresh wound for these parents. That's yeah. why they're involved with this with NBC. Other news, former NBA star Dennis Rodman is returning to North Korea. North Korean officials told CNN that uh, Rodman, he, he visited Pyongyang, the head, the uh, North Korea, the capital, and leader Kim Jong-un in January 2014. Remember, there was a basketball game that oh, yeah. happened. A bunch yeah. of former NBA players went over, and some of them were like, oh, what are we doing They here? held a camp. Yeah, it was strange. Uh, Rodman last visited in 2014. He celebrated Kim uh, Jong-un's birthday. He has since called the dictator a very good guy. Oh, my word. Does so, he not read the paper? Ah, it's okay. He's a good guy. He went over and talked to him. He, you, when you look at a man in the eye, you can measure him. You can see what kind of person he is, even though he's probably down yeah, he had lower. Yeah, kneel down. <laughs> Rodman's like you know six eight or he's whatever. He's a big man. Wow, boy, Rodman. So good well, thing I, there. I, I, did, I never thought him to be an ambassador. Well, he kind of is trying to present himself hey, that way. Wasn't but he on The Apprentice with Trump or something? He, uh, he was. He was. Is so. he an ambassador? Is he an appointed ambassador from the Trump administration? I, I, I think the quote I saw was something the level of this isn't like he's not going as an ambassador for Trump, but he thinks that Trump would approve. Okay. So you know, we'll see what Good. happens. There's a, a crisis in Germany, apparently. Shops in Germany are currently waiting for more shipments of fidget spinners. Oh, boy. They're out. There's a growing demand in Germany, and they just don't have, they can't fill the demand. Merchants are waiting for shipments of more toys to arrive, both by ship and by airplane. 
This from uh, <laughs> Willie Fischel, the chief executive of the German Toy Association, or German Association of Toy Retail. It goes, when ships get here, there will be more of them spinning in Germany. I can only smile uh, tiredly about the alleged therapeutic purpose, he does say. So he doesn't yeah. really quite believe that. Sounds like he's a cynic. This And the, the, also the... Uh, that's echoed from the chairman of the German Psychological Association. And as of July 1st, also the president of the German Teachers Association, they don't like the fidget no, spinner. of course not. This says, I'm quite a supporter of analog games. I think it's a good for the pupil to occupy themselves with their dexterity during break times rather than staring at their smartphones. So there's some bonus there. Yeah. Play with the fidget spinner, Just not your phone. During the downtime, not when you're supposed to be in school. Yesterday, this was pointed out multiple times on the media, even the son of president of the United States. Donald Trump, Barron, yeah. getting off the plane on Sundays. He arrived in D.C., yeah, yeah. fidget spinner in hand. Attaboy. You could see the red fidget spinners. He was playing Even with that. Even Barron fidgets. Barron fidgets he has. So it, fidget spinning is becoming an international sensation. It, apparently it is, and also an uh, international uh, hatred from teachers, it yep. seems like. They seem like it's just a toy. It's not really helping. And is this, I guess, is this America exporting its fidgetry? Well, China. Well, China's the the manufacturer, but it's the fad. It happens here, and then it spreads yeah. to the world. But it, you know, it's all from China. That's it. So and finally, the Golden State Warriors beat the Cleveland Cavaliers Monday night, clinching their second NBA championship in three seasons. Yeah, Kevin Durant, thirty nine points. Stephen Curry had uh, Stephen Curry had thirty four points, giving the Warriors a one twenty nine one twenty victory. Is a good game. I was, was able intense. to watch the entire game. It was close. It was very close. You could see the Cavaliers were making some runs, making LeBron some efforts. Was so close. Just not enough as the Warriors were able to win. He's amazing, though. Holy cow. Kevin Durant, two reasons to celebrate Monday night, being named the finals MVP in addition to helping his team win the championship. LeBron James scored 41 points in the loss. Kyrie Irving, 26, but it wasn't enough. Here's a question for yeah. you. Uh, so apparently Kevin Durant's mom coaches the team. Because I saw a lot of pictures and and moments with her. Right. I saw more with her than with Steve Kerr. Right. The actual she's, coach. She's very visible. She's very involved. Very involved mother. She she actually took the trip back to Oklahoma City. Yeah. When the Warriors, when Kevin Durant went back there for the first time to play and they had... Oh, uh, what all the fans are standing around with like cupcake signs yeah. and yeah. cupcake shirts. It's fantastic. And she she yeah. actually got some verbal abuse from the fans. Did she really? And I heard an interview with Kevin Durant. And he he goes, yeah. I told my mom not to make the trip. Yeah. You, you don't understand what you're walking into. These people, they've been your friend. They're not your friend anymore. They are not your friend. Because you walk in, you're going to get. And she did. And he was he wasn't happy that it went that way, but he was expecting it. Well, he also so don't go, but she decided to go. In his it. acceptance speech, I think he mentioned every city he grew up in, every town he'd ever played in, and except Oklahoma. Ooh, I don't think he mentioned anything in the state. Wow, I think. Mm. Huh. So okay. So she's on the coaching staff. That's yeah, neat. maybe like honorary coach. That, she's fantastic, and he—that's uh, neat to see a boy that loves his mother. That's great, right? I mean, we all owe our mothers. Where would you be? Father's Day's coming up this weekend, though. Yes. So get ready. I know you like to make a big deal of it. Hmm. What are you, what are you going to get, Dad? And don't say a gift card. And don't say I'm going to give him a card. With it's, a... it's usually a gift card. Okay. Here, Dad, go buy a tool at Lowe's or you know. Yeah, here's a gift card. Whatever, buy whatever. But buy what you need. Just whatever it is, I'm done. I've given you the card. Well, we don't try to make it all like weird with emotions. Well, why don't? Here's what I want you to do. Yeah. 
I want you to go up to your dad, mm, eye to eye. I, I already see this Get kinda, some eye contact. Well, I can't be eye to eye. He's like six. He's taller than I am. Well, have him sit down. I'd ha- okay. Have him sit down and you can just stand there. And then um, not that tall. <laughs> I want you to look him in the eye and just say, Poppy, mm. you're the best. Wow. That eye might, to eye. And then that keep, might be a little too much emotion for my father. Okay. But, I mean, you know, then he dies a happy man. I don't know if it would make it. It would be weird. I know. He'd Let's go, do it. great, now you made it weird. Then just hug. Then right after that, just hug. Just say, when he <sighs> says, you just made it weird, just say, Let's hug it out, Dad. Let's it's it like out. the contact thing. Yeah. We'll have to see. I'm just trying to give you ideas. And then when he hears this, he'll comment on Thursday when I go see him. Eye to eye. He goes, Why is it weird? It's not weird. Just Why give is me it a weird hug. to say that you love your dad? I'm like, Well, we'll see. And then say, And you know, you know what else he loves? They call him Daddy. Yeah, that's that hasn't been daddy for quite a while. Never too late. I call him sir. Do you? Yeah. That's nice. You're like it's like the military brat in you. He finds that kind of weird. And so you're I not do even it. a military brat. Your dad was in the military, but you weren't well, alive, I sp- were you? I spent time in Texas. Oh yeah. Some people yeah. kind of respect the that. South. But I, what I've done is I've realized I worked in retail for a while, and when you call people sir. It disarms whatever yeah. complaint they have. They're like, oh, wow, respect. You know, another one other than sir is honey. No. Don't you, isn't that weird when people call you honey? Yeah, it's really Hey, right. honey. Yeah, yeah, honey. It's a little too familiar. I'm like. What? Excuse me, sir? Or sweetie. Yeah, please don't call me honey. Beefcake. Beefcake <laughs> was the weird one. Lover. Hey, That's beefcake. Weird. Whoa, hey. <laughs> Back up. <laughs> Good times, folks. Good times. Hey, uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're talking about retail meltdown. Why are so many stores closing? Payless Shoe Source, 400 stores, JCPenney, 138 stores, Macy, 68 stores, Steers, Sears, and Kmart, 150 stores, folks. What's happening? They're all closing on us. We'll find out why up next. You know, America has more malls per capita than any other country in the world, but malls are quickly on the decline due to companies like Amazon and programs like Amazon Amazon Prime. For just under $100, you can get anything you want sent to your home in two days with free shipping. Are you kidding me? So here's the question. Are malls and retail stores on their way out permanently, or what's going on, what's causing the decline. Here to speak with us today is Richard Kestenbaum. He is an investment banker doing mergers and acquisitions for consumer companies, and he specializes in retail, apparel, fashion, and other related businesses. He's here to talk to us today about what is really going on with retail. Richard, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, good morning. My pleasure to be here. What an interesting time this is. I mean, when you, this article that you wrote, it, to me, it's fascinating because, and then I, we've got to, uh, at the very end of the interview, I really want to get into what you foresee uh, electric or uh, uh, yeah, automated cars doing for us, because that blew, you just blew my mind with that whole idea. But talk to me about the retail world. Um, what really is happening numbers wise are, are 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 fewer people going to the malls and are they and, and if they are where's all this money going well we're experiencing some cultural changes that um are being uh enhanced by or uh, accelerated by technology the cultural changes result from a change in attitudes among different generations 
boomers and uh, Gen Z consumers and millennials have different attitudes. Millennials and Gen Z consumers want different things from their products. Boomers wanted status and products that were global and mass and commercial. And millennial and Gen Z consumers want products whose management is transparent, who, who are uh, produced sensitively to the environment, who are produced with an ethical and fair wage, which are made locally and ethically and, um, and in an artisanal way. Hmm. And that has created a real sea change in what products are desirable and how companies communicate the value of their product. It used to be that if it fit and the brand was right in a garment, for example, that a consumer would want it. But there's so much more to it now. So it's very hard to transition if you're a legacy company used to selling products to boomers to convey the values that millennial and Gen Z consumers want. And we're seeing that change accelerated by the simultaneous change in technology, where online companies that are new and digitally native and whose products were born being, sold, being created to uh, be sold over the internet or by mobile are finding it much easier to convey the kinds of values that consumers now want than legacy companies. And all of that, coupled with the convenience of being online, is changing consumers' attitude towards stores and making stores less necessary and less desirable. Wow. So mall traffic is down. But you have to distinguish between what mall you're talking about. There are A malls, B malls, and C malls. The A malls are doing okay because consumers still have a reason and a motivation to go there. They're entertaining. They have brands that are not accessible elsewhere. But the B malls and C malls are in serious trouble. Their traffic is down, and they need to change what they're offering to draw consumers back in. Mm. And it's... Um I mean, the, the sad thing is, like, as, as I go down a list in, on four, in Forbes about some of these stores, Sears, 150 stores, Radio Shack, 550 stores, uh, Family Christian, 240, The Limited has 240 stores closing, and on and on and on. But you can see big names also, kind of brandish names like Abercrombie and Fitch, Macy's, some of these uh, names, um, Ralph Lauren is closing in New York. So is this... I, I guess the idea is they can still get uh, what some you know what these retailers are giving. So are the retailers themselves just moving online more as well? Well, they're trying to, but it is not just a matter of moving online. It's that their offerings are not right for what consumers for the audience, want now. Right. Each one of these things, you know, if you look at Radio Shack, online killed Radio Shack because you don't need to try on a battery or other <laughs> right. electronic device. That's just incredibly well suited to move online. And Amazon and other online uh, retailers are a real threat to them. But someone like Sears has not been offering the kinds of products that consumers now want, and their merchandising has been weak for a long time. And that, coupled with the fact that some of their locations are not attractive for consumers, even though the real estate has value, and the merchandising and the growth of online has been hurting them a lot. A lot of that is also true for uh, some of the other companies that you mentioned. Abercrombie & Fitch is conveying a different kind of value than what consumers want right now, and that's causing them to be less desirable. And when you couple that together with the change in technology, it makes their offering very problematic. 
And what they're doing is the only dial that they're finding to have any effect whatever is the price dial. And so they dial the price down in order to move the product out. And that's never a good way to develop the future of a business. Because oh, you wind up in, an, a, in a commodity business and you can't make money like that. You, you mentioned uh, tier A, kind of tier B, tier C malls. Do we just have too many malls today? Yes, we've had. We well, you know, the American shopper is a phenomenon. Shopping became a sport over a period of time, and people enjoy hanging out in the malls. And that kind of recreation is less desirable. People are more interested, and and again, it's a generational shift. Yeah. It's millennials and Gen Zers who are less interested in uh, walking malls than their um, than their elder counterparts, and that's made the malls need to come up with more reasons to draw people in. They need more entertainment. They need more health-related things, health and wellness. Uh, They need more food options that are more enticing and unique. And we're going to need less square footage in retail malls. True, huh? I mean, because all of a sudden, and you make a great point of this, that uh, this is more about restaurants aren't hurting, it doesn't sound like. More and more people are spending their dollar at a restaurant than, I guess, buying clothes today. So you've got to have more options at the mall other than just shopping. Well, restaurants are changing, too, because the kind of restaurant that people want is different from what they wanted in the past. And, uh, and those tastes are still evolving and it's not clear what's going what's gonna to happen with restaurants. Fast food is more challenging than it used to be. And um, food is often a novelty business and requires newness all the time. Boy, is, so, so size of malls can actually shrink. Offerings can shrink. When you say health options, what do you mean by health options? Because that is the boon right now as well. You know, um, here in New York... Uh, Saks Fifth Avenue has a flagship store, and they tore out their second floor, and they opened a um, a space they call the Wellery, and it's about a dozen different shops within their store, and they have a skincare shop, huh. they have an exercise shop called Con Body, where ex cons will exercise you, oh, and yeah, cool. or will will train you. Yes, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. And, that is crazy. You, yes. so, and, and that what you're like exercising out in the yard with uh, the free weights like they would in prison. Except that you're on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> oh, my heavens. That's an experience. Yeah. So, and there are stores that sell the Peloton equipment hmm. and all within the department store. So that's interesting for consumers because it's different and it's unique. It used to be that department stores would have products that um, you could find in in other places, but because you couldn't find it on the phone in your pocket, you had to go to the department store to get it. Well, now it's a lot more challenging, and department stores are not used to the idea that they have to have something that's unique only to them. And they've tried creating specific products for each brand that are unique to them, but that's not enough, and they need to have experiences, which is the other thing that uh, consumers now want. They don't just want to go shop and buy. They want to have experiences in the store. So stores need more demonstrations. Stores need more entertainment. Stores need more music. Stores need more food. Uh, Stores need things that make consumers want to come aside from the shopping. And because the value 
of each individual square foot of retail is lower than it used to be because you don't need as many square feet to do the same amount of volume, you can now afford to have those kinds of options in the store. But department stores generally are large companies, and landlords are large companies, and they're rigid. And it's taking them time to adapt. And it'll be interesting to see what will happen when they get more creative, but it's going to take some time. And, I mean, this is a big deal because they already have the malls built. I mean, so if there's a mall here in Utah that over time the entire mall has closed and they all they all that is left on the lot and actually been torn down all that is left on the lot is a big box building that they're waiting for like some brand to come in i guess and buy and then build a build a mall around but what will happen to all this property in the future well it used to be true that if you waited for a big box brand to show up eventually they would that's not true anymore yeah. because the number of stores is decreasing so the mall and the land has to be repurposed, and we're seeing different kinds of things happening depending on the mall and the circumstances. One of the most interesting things that we've seen is the mall is completely demolished. We've seen this in a couple of places, and a new outdoor space is built that has stores on the street level, but it's more of a community with housing above the stores mm-hmm. and offices and theaters and various food options, but not food options like a food court, but restaurants. And the idea of the restaurants isn't to create chains that you can go to anywhere else, but to have unique offerings. That's a lot harder to do if you're a landlord. And so you, you, you have to develop new skills as a landlord, not just to be able to build a building and hand it over to a tenant, but to create artisanal events and uh, experiences that will draw consumers to your space. Mm. Boy, that's a big load that they're going to have to carry. We'll take a break, come back more with Richard Kestenbaum as we talk about the the retail meltdown. What's going on, folks? Is it the end of retail or is it just time to change? Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Uh, Joining us on the phone is Richard Kestenbaum. He's an investment banker doing mergers and acquisitions for consumer companies, and he specializes in retail, apparel, fashion, and other related businesses. He also uh, wrote an article for Forbes, and uh, we're, we're just grateful to be picking your brain. Thank you again, Richard, for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you, Matt. You bet. So when we when I look at this, the the big push you're saying is kind of it's almost generational. The the uh, the boomers and I guess the X Gen maybe were more prone to uh, want status, want brand. They grew up in malls as kids. We wore Izod's branding was a real uh, the brand was a big thing. The status was a big thing. But with millennials and Gen Z, you're saying. It's more about, the, you know, the ethical treatment, the environment. Is it conducive to the life they want? Um, you know, are we supporting local uh, kind of experiences and local vendors with an artisan quality? Um, when, when we look at this, meanwhile, we have this weird uh, bifurcation where the tech companies, Amazon, 
doesn't necessarily offer that local experience, that local, any of that. At this rate, if you can get, I guess, a real estate developer to take a mall, to restructure it, to design it so it's more experiential, do you think that is, is that one of the only ways then to beat an Amazon? I think there are a number of niche markets that can be very competitive with Amazon. And I think when you look at the spectrum of the kinds of things you wear, if you want to buy a T-shirt or something where you know exactly what you want, Amazon is a great place for consumers, and they deliver a great experience with great value, and consumers trust them, which is so important. But if you want something that requires your pers- that reflects your personal taste, and is, for example, for an important event or party or wedding or something that's really important to you and you want to look a certain way, you're a little less likely to go to Amazon. So Amazon is not that well-suited where the, where the product is really high value and it's very personal. And for that, you need something that um, reflects more your reflects your taste level more, and perhaps you need to go to a store, depending on what the what the garment is particular, or what the product is particularly. So Amazon is highly effective in uh, for products that can be sold in a mechanical way, but a little less effective for products that have a high merchandising content, let's call it. Yeah. Is that why they're moving or trying to test out the brick-and-mortar model? It always seemed crazy for me that Amazon would want to be opening stores, uh, you know, brick-and-mortar in the neighborhoods when everyone else is closing doors. But I guess that's why, so that people can get in and touch the merchandise. Well, it's such a funny thing that, that I've been remarking to myself about lately because near my home there was a, uh, a Borders bookstore hmm. and it closed because it's just not competitive anymore. And in that very location, there's now an Amazon bookstore. Oh, wow. So, you know, you Amazon came around and put the store out of business only to do what? open a store. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it, it, it's counterintuitive, isn't it? Because the overhead of these brick and mortars seems like a really heavy burden for companies to carry. Well, it isn't. It isn't. Um, Amazon is uh, somewhat opaque to the rest of us about the economics of the stores that it's opening. So we can't know whether yeah. these are truly economic enterprises or whether they're doing this as an experiment to understand. Hmm. One of the things you see when you go into an Amazon bookstore is that it's, it's different. We think of bookstores as places where you see the spine of a book and you can spend hours browsing because there's thousands or hundreds of thousands of books. And it's great to open them up and flip them around and and see what you can learn and what you like. The Amazon bookstore is different. The Amazon bookstore has has the books not on their spine but on their side. So there's much fewer books, and they've merchandised it for you. So you walk in and they say, and it'll say, these books are best-selling books in your city. So it's relevant mm. to you, and that's meaningful to a lot of consumers, and it simplifies the whole process. So they'll put books that they think are going to be attractive to the consumer who's likely to walk into the store. So, yes, it's a bookstore, but it functions differently than bookstores have functioned. Is that better? We don't know. It might be better, but it's hard to tell right now. They also use the space to, uh, to push their electronics products like the Kindle and um, the Echo. And 
we don't know how important that is to convincing consumers to cross the threshold of using those devices. So time will tell. And because Amazon is so big, the impact of those stores that they're experimenting with won't be observable to the rest of us for quite some time. Yeah. Does um, with because there's such a push for online delivery services, and it seems like so many people are enjoying on the online delivery. Is it, are people loving though this idea that you can have your groceries delivered by you just sitting down on the couch watching Netflix? You can have everything delivered. Is that is that a big part of this temptation that people just like doing it from home? There's no question that uh, the convenience is an enormous factor and the, the, the time savings is part of the experience that consumers are looking for. But, by the way, you're asking really good questions. Oh, thank you very much. But the, uh, the, you touched on a point that's also really interesting and paradoxical, which is grocery. The penetration of grocery shopping online is much lower than most other classifications of product. And if you ask a consumer, generally it's about uh, groceries are about the freshness of the produce and the protein, the fish and meat that they buy, and it's about price. And those are very hard things to get right online, and no one has the formula yet. And... There's, you know, one of the interesting things about the supermarket that you go to is that the consumer in some way is working for the store. What I mean by that is the consumer picks the product off the shelf and the consumer delivers it to their own home. When you add the cost of picking and delivering in a business that has very low margins, it makes it uneconomical. So the ability to get groceries at a competitive price delivered to your home, very, very hard. Consumers right now, generally speaking, have to pay more or the grocer has to earn less in order to get consumers to buy groceries online. So that's still an evolving model. The only one I've ever seen doing it was Walmart, and I always assumed it was because they had such margin or a better margin that they could write it off or whatever. Well, uh, the pickup in Stroddle is gaining traction, and that saves a very substantial uh, cost of the delivery because, you know, you can pick five people's orders at one time, but you can only deliver to one home at a time, and that's very expensive. What do you think – okay, in another article in The Atlantic – they, uh, I thought you had been had written this one as well, but there was, there, there's I guess an assumption that with autonomous vehicles um, and stores closing, that maybe there will be a retail option with an autonomous vehicle where you'll where companies will buy these vehicles, deck them out uh, with a little showroom, and then when you want to look at uh, a, a Gucci bag, you call the Gucci car. And the Gucci car comes to your house and you buy out of an autonomous vehicle or a van someday or whatever. Do you see retail going that way? Uh, I think uh, autonomous vehicles will have an enormous impact on retail and on product delivery. I don't see it going the way that you're describing. I'll tell you why. Yeah. If you put a store or a small store in a vehicle and you drive it to a consumer of one, you've made an investment in your inventory that can only be seen by a small number of people in a day. It's way too expensive. And the likelihood that those products won't get sold because they won't be seen by enough people is very high. So 
I don't think that's so likely. One of the things that consumers do with online shopping now is order multiple items and, um, and try a few on and send most of them back and keep the ones that fit or the ones that they like. And retailers understand that they do this. It's one of the most challenging parts of online retail, and it's one of the reasons why the most successful online retailers are the ones who can convey to the consumer what will work for them before they ship it and not after. Yeah. Does the And we can kind of maybe wrap up with this. Um, the the belief when I was growing up are these these malls they 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 were iconic, they were community kind of gathering places like a Macy's that uh, they don't fail these were the things that never fail and now we're living in a world where they're failing um, is so for these old timers the baby boomers the Gen Xers it's kind of like what's happening to this world this is so unsettling do we need to worry or is this just a normal shakeup. I've traveled a fair amount around the world, and one of the things I always remark about when I come home is how energized and competitive the American market is, and that makes it so efficient, and it enhances our productivity and our prosperity. And But part of that is the willingness to take the old and throw it overboard. It's a great strength of our society But it's also a challenge because many people get displaced. When you talk about autonomous vehicles, for example, there are 3 million truck drivers in America. Eventually, that job is going to become obsolete, Mm, and something's going to happen to those people. Now, you know, you may recall that we had many, many more secretaries in offices than we have now, and we don't hear about massive unemployment among former secretaries because people learn to adapt. It's the nature of our culture to embrace the new, and we're doing that in retail. It's happening a lot faster than many people can adapt to, but it is one of the great strengths of our society. It's not bad. I mean, it's, you, just, you just get used to change, right? It's part of, the, part of the process. Change Richard, happens. well, thank you so much, and we appreciate your time. Keep up uh, the great work. Again, people, if you want to get in touch with Richard, you can go to his website, uh, trianglecapitalllc.com, trianglecapitalllc.com. He's a great mind and a great uh, writer, and we appreciate his time. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up hour number one of the program. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you lead your way through retail chaos. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. You know, when uh, we're talking about change, it's not an easy thing, is it? <laughs> I mean, don't you remember the good old days? Don't you remember when your mom could take you to a store? I remember Mervin's. Do you remember that store? And uh, going in there. And But I remember thinking, even when I was at Mervin's, boy, I sure, I'm never going to get an IZOD shirt here. I went to a private school where all of these rich kids had their uh, IZOD shirts, but Mervyn's didn't offer an IZOD, it offered a fox. So I could have a fox on my shirt, but then I remember I remember being a 12-year-old kid thinking, well, I don't want a fox because that just shows that I seriously don't have an IZOD, but I want one. <laughs> anyway, it's a different generation, and did you hear what Richard was saying 
millennials today, it's it's not as much about the IZOD. It's not as much about the brand and the status of the shirt. It's more about where was this shirt made? Was it made ethically? Uh, was it made without, you know, crushing the human soul and spirit? And which is when you think about and the artisan side of this, where is it made locally? And um, am I supporting kind of a local business mentality? Look at what a different what a difference a generation can make. And if you if you're a retailer today, you, you've got to understand that. Even in my own business, I sit there and I think, oh man, I've got to somehow find a way in my business to not just make it about my brand or my name. I've got to figure out a way to actually connect to the hearts and the minds of the people that are that are there that are in the marketplace? Are they going to actually buy into what I'm offering? Also, how strange is that that in New York, you can go to a gym and the gym is um, hosted, I guess, coached by past cons and they basically help you do a prison workout where you've got to, you know, use all these different weights to to strengthen your body and, you know, ex-cons will be the ones on your side screaming at you. Um, and then I guess you go in and you can make some hooch and whatever else you do in a prison gym. Um, but I guess think about it. It's about experience. It's about friends. Some other uh, articles we read talk about the fact that more and more people are trying to go out and and have the social experience. So I call it, again, social uh, spending where people want and are spending more money in restaurants than they are in stores to buy clothes with nice brands. Now what they want to do is go to dinner with their friends. Um, Another point that was made in another article was about the idea that uh, people now are are trying to have experiences that they can Instagram. So some of their decisions aren't being made, uh, you know, again, on the clothes they're going to wear or how good they're going to look. But more importantly, are they able to go climb a rock wall while they are at this sporting goods store? We have a huge sporting goods store here in Utah that's, I know, a national brand called Shields. And inside of that store, you can bowl. You can go bowling. You can uh, ride a Ferris uh, Ferris wheel. You can uh, have a little putting green. There's just a lot of stuff. You can actually shoot guns in other in other sports stores. You can go try the gun you're, you're looking at buying or a version of it. It's just – they're just experiences, a huge fish tanks that uh, you can see divers dive into the fish tank. It's now about not just retail anymore but about experiential retail. And so that apparently matters as well. Anyway, folks, it's just, it's just how we purchase stuff. And they're going to give you what you want. So uh, make, your, make your needs known. Anyway, it's also good I think to just think about it yourself. What's going on in your head when you're buying something? That's hour number one of the program. Remember, we're here to help you uh, live stronger, healthier lives. One way to do it is to understand more about you. We'll be back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Happy Tuesday morning to you. 
Hope all is going well and uh, you're getting through your day okay. Dr. Matt here, your guide on the side. Have we got a show for you today celebrating International Axe Throwing Day. Now, I think Axe is a body spray used by teenage boys, and apparently today's the day you get to throw it. Is that right, Cole? That's that's what the young person in the room yeah. thinks mm-hmm. on the matter. Yes. Is there any other axe you could throw? I guess a throwing axe. Does that stuff work? Oh, yeah. The axe body spray, yeah. is that... I mean, the idea is you spray it on, and mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you're hot stuff. My teens don't even have to shower. Really? Yeah, they just put a lot of axe on. It's wonderful. Like, they walk by, and you're like, whoa. Woo! You got a date tonight <laughs> to my 12-year-old? Nope, just got my axe on. Interesting. Good times. You got to try it. No. Why? I think my wife has uh, experienced people who try to do that, and she's not approving of that behavior. Do you wear cologne? No. Um, I have a guy that I know uh, that wears cologne a lot. Of, not a lot, but he smells so good. Mm. And every time I, I am near him, I think... Wow, he smells good. You don't notice it until you notice it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's subtle. So it's <laughs> not overpowering. But it's it's, it's enough. Not it's enough that if you ask everybody, they all know who I would be talking about. Mm. And um, but I started thinking, do I do I I don't smell nice. I mean, I don't smell. I'm kind of a neutral smell, right? I think, which I think is a goal that everyone can achieve. Going for neutral, and if we all work for neutral, it'll help everyone. There's some people that need to, you know, step up the effort. Uh-huh. Other He's a people very clean are overachievers. Man. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's a very clean person. It's just yeah. he he just colognes up and but it's, it reminds me I guess of grandma wearing, you know, perfume. Right. One of my grandmas would perfume up, one didn't. Hmm. I just but I'm reaching this age where I got to start thinking like do I want to But we come in all the time when there's a a a guest that comes in that happens to be female. Once they leave, it's like, oh. wow, this place smells really good in here. It in smells the like fruity. This what <laughs> I smell citrus. Yeah, yeah. And then when they leave, other than that, it just smells like a locker room. And they show great self control by not walking in here and complaining about what this place must yeah. smell like. Did you remember that guest the other day? It was like, woo, like wow, sheesh, what died in here? Yeah, that was embarrassing. I felt bad for Cole that day. Yeah, well, live and learn. Yeah, live and live learn. And learn. Live and learn. Today we got a great show as well. We're going to be talking about uh, when you when you lose a race politically, and your candidate loses, let's say, mm. and you don't like hypothetically the winner, it can throw you into a funk. I remember feeling that back in the day when Mitt Romney lost. I thought I was just devastated. Like what? That was, and I was in a funk for a while. Many feel that way with President Trump. Today we're going to be talking about which I for me is is odd. Is it that people have that sort of emotional response? But don't you notice, like in the country, there's kind of a lot of there's a funk. People are right. down. There is, and but have we had that sort of response to a political election? That I, I mean, in my life, I'm yeah. Well, you're yeah, you're a punk. Really, I'm a midlife, right? So I, I've yeah. seen a few elections. There was an episode of South Park. When Obama won the first time, okay. half the city on the, the show South Park moved into a cave because it was the end of the world. The yeah. other half is in the street partying because hope and change. Yeah. Now I don't have to go to work That's anymore. It. Everything's That's awesome. And the rest. You know? See, then it seems like when Trump won, 
the, everyone just switched locations, right? So the right. cave people all came out and started partying and yeah. saw light for the first time. And, and everyone in the street went, in the, went in the cave. But in the cartoon, it was figurative, right? Yeah. There were people that felt that way, but it wasn't like a mass mm-hmm. group. Here, it's like it's mass real. group of people all of a yeah. sudden, and we're motivated. It's You're horrible. in the street. Depression. It's like, what's causing this emotional yeah. response? And um, today we're going to discuss why or how you find hope and connection hmm. During these political times where you don't feel like you you can't believe what's going on. Right. So one way to do that would be community. So we'll be speaking with um, a psychologist but also an expert in community building and how you go about finding hope through working with others. So it's, a, it's going to be an interesting discussion there. We'll get to all that plus also some empty news um, including, you know, what do you give yourself on your birthday – to, to really make the day special. Oh, nice. It's going to be a wonderful story about stealing a car. Do you buy yourself gifts for your birthday? Well, yeah. I, I don't. No. Well, well, I, well I, my last birthday, I just was sitting in a hospital room. I kind of do because my wife goes, what do you want? And I tell her and she goes, go get it. Like, well, okay. Did she say like, go get it, loser? No, but it's basically let's go get, either let's go get it or let's get it go, for you. go buy it. Or yeah. Mostly it's... Go down to Amazon and buy it because it's something I've found on Amazon. Yesterday I saw what I'm getting for Father's Day. Oh, how's that? You just uh, ruined it. Well, yeah. She, well, she's like, come pick your tie. Oh, nice. I'll let my wife do that. She has good taste. Yeah, so did mine. Yeah. I, bought, I actually got the one that's named after my wife. Oh, nice. I thought that would be a nice gesture for my Father's Day. Anyway, we will we'll, uh, we'll get to all of that fun, plus a little um, carjacking advice, what to mm. do if you're being carjacked. There's a really interesting learning out of that one that yeah. will help you for a long time. Is so, there a learning curve to carjacking? Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot to know. There's bad ways and uh-huh. good ways. And there's good ways to avoid it. Yeah. There's little tricks now that you should do. So we'll have a little best practices yeah. sort of discussion. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Uh, it's going to be called, the segment's called Carjacking 101. How to Survive and Thrive. Nice. <laughs> it's, it's a great It's a one. breakout session. It's a breakout session. We'll get to all of that fun, plus uh, just hopefully, you know, survive. One more hour of uh, Tuesday morning. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? Hundreds of people gathered at dawn on Monday in the Florida resort city of Orlando to pay their respects to the 49 people killed by a gunman one year ago at the Pulse nightclub. The shooting spree on June 12, 2016 by Omar Mateen, who pledged allegiance to the Islamic State group before turning his weapon on clubgoers, also left dozens of people wounded. No matter how dark the night, the sun is always going to shine, Orlando Mayor Buddy Dreyer told the gathering. They're able mm-hmm. to remember that it's the worst you know, incident yeah. of that in our nation's history, and it was marked by uh, they had some days of rem- remembrance for all those people. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson says that North Korea has released auto Warmbier, a American serving a 15-year prison term with hard labor for alleged anti-state acts. Tillerson says that uh, Warmbier is on the way back to the U.S. to be reunited with his family. Tillerson says the State Department continues discussing uh, two other detained Americans with North Korea to try to facilitate their release. Uh, this uh, guy that was released today, a University of Virginia student from suburban Cincinnati. He was sentenced in March 2016 after a televised, tearful public confession of trying to steal a propaganda banner. Oh, boy. He tried to take a banner off a wall. They arrested him, threw him in jail for 15 years hard labor. Go. Unbelievable. A little extreme on the sentencing there, but, you know. 
I just wanted a propaganda banner. In other news, a 12-year-old girl, girl remembered a technique she read about in one of her Hunger Game novels and used it to tie a tourniquet around a friend's open leg wound. Wow. Megan Gething a, uh, and friend Mackenzie George were playing a, a, in a marsh in Massachusetts when Mackenzie fell and cut her calf open on a steel pump. Megan uh, quickly used a pair of shorts to fashion a tourniquet in the wound uh, around the wound and apply pressure to, uh, to stem the bleeding. She says, "I knew it from a book I read." She said, um, "I figured it was a well-known method of stopping bleeding." McKinsey was taken to the hospital. Doctors said there was no muscle or nerve damage to her leg. Her parents are thankful for Megan's quick thinking and help in what could have been a dire situation had she lost more blood. She is expected to make a full recovery next month. So, thank you to the That's- Hunger Games. That's incredible. Plus, didn't she learn how to like whistle like a mockingbird? Possibly. Or just spontaneously light yourself on fire. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of things to learn in those books. All these things happen. That's great. And finally, sharp-eyed drivers have spotted what appears to be unmanned uh, lawnmowers cutting the grass in the Garden State Parkway in New what? Jersey. Their eyes aren't deceiving them. There are six lawn care versions of a Roomba-type robot vacuum cleaning a cleaner cutting the grass on the New Jersey Turnpike and the Garden State Parkway. Each one costs $83,000. The mower, known as the Trax T-R-A-X-X-R-F. Wow, sounds nice. Is manufactured by Texas-based Alamo Industries and deployed in areas that are deemed too hazardous for mowers operated by a person. So they're too steep. It's a gully, that kind of thing. Yeah. So you send the robot in. Put the robot on Put it. Put the robot in. If it tips over, you just go tip the robot back over. You don't hurt the person. So they're out there, you know, mowing the Jersey Turnpike. Uh, they're used in a terrain where a conventional riding mower would be in danger of rolling over. They're used. Uh, so they spent $83,000 on each of these robot lawnmowers. That's mowers. amazing. There's a, a person that sits in a control room and kind of tasks them as they go. And there's little cameras to yeah, show them the until GPS. until they fall asleep, sure. Yeah. And so robot lawnmowers. You can tell. I mean, that's got, that's got the makings for a really big problem. That was my question. All of a sudden, one of those mowers gets, you know, goes, goes awry. A little and, bad code. A little bad code in the, uh-huh. the computer system. Or the guy sudden, in the little control room takes yeah. a little nappy nap. Right. Pulls Le- a little Homer Simpson. Leans on the joystick one way. Yeah. It just creans into All traffic. All of a sudden, the whole turnpike goes down. What do you do? But, but, Matt, do you want a robot Roomba yeah. programmable lawnmower for your house? Well, think about it. Nobody wants to go mow a steep you know, embankment. I don't think anyone wants to mow their flat yard either. I mean, but it also seems like this might be a great place where you put you know, people that are serving time. No. And you go have them mow the turnpike. So robot, robots are taking convicts' jobs too now. Yes. We're automating the convict out mm-hmm. of work. Now we're not paying the convict the 30 cents an hour they deserve or whatever they pay them. This will never stop. Our automated Do we have future. robots that break rocks nowadays? Yes. Okay. There's machines that do that for us. They're really big, but... The neat thing about the, the robot mower is it's not going to reach under itself to see, to, you know, to clear the blade. Right. If there's an obstruction, it'll just sit there. So I was just, I was just trying to clear the blade. Right. So you don't lose a hand. Yeah. You know, I used to mow yeah. at a uh, at a golf course, country club here in town. Right. As a little kid, mm-hmm. as a teenage boy. And uh, I was kind of a lazy mower. All right. So I wouldn't, like, watch <laughs> what I was mowing. I was just kind of in my own yeah. little world. Sure. 
And one day I kind of pushed the mower under because I was supposed to mow around pine trees. Mm-hmm. And there was like hundreds of them. So you just kind of push it under there, push it under there, push it under there. And I just pushed it under there. And then you can see what's coming out the chute on right. the side. Right. And what I saw come out the chute was a lot of carnage. Ooh. You hit something? I hit something. Alive? Apparently. That used to be? Used to be. Like a duck or something? And <laughs> I, I literally spent the rest of the week in trauma. Wow, yeah. And then I realized I probably need to watch what I'm mowing. Yeah, probably pay attention more. See, that's something a Roomba would never do. Have you seen the commercial where dad sends the son out to mow the lawn? He's on the riding lawnmower. Son puts in the headphones and he's just cruising around. He runs over a big old strip of gravel. Oh, no. And all that gravel starts launching out of the chute at the pane glass window at the house. Oh, yeah. And it's just like a shotgun goes yeah. off. It's all. <laughs> <laughs> and the dad ducks and covers. And yeah, you need to pay attention when you're mowing the lawn. It seems like a brilliant thing because, like, it's just straight lines, right? Probably. It's supposed to, yeah. The majority. Of... I mean, unless you're trying to be like baseball park know, creative yeah. or something. You don't need to, like, etch into the lawn the Moana, whatever that yeah. is. You do all that, the yeah, con shells and yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's that good. stuff's great. Good times. It's, it's good all about, times. It's about art. It's all about the art. That's why we do the show. Yeah, it's all about the art. Uh, before we take a break, I got to give you a little uh, update on life. I mean, th- there's a lot of stories we could be talking about on the show, and instead of uh, just throwing dumb ones at you, we only give you the most important ones. Here's an example: If you have a car with a key fob, with that. Uh, just a little the, the door unlock and lock fob that you have to have to, to get your car to start. So if you have to push a button with your uh, to start your car, then here's a little little trick for you. Okay, authorities say a quick thinking driver thwarted a carjacking by a jail inmate in South Carolina. Arrest warrants say Ezekiel Stevenson yanked a driver from his car during a hospital visit on May 13th, but the driver kept his key fob. Uh, And by keeping the key fob, by him having enough sense to keep the key fob in his hand, the remote uh, door access in his hand, then when when the guy stole the car and tried to drive away, once it gets so far from the key fob, it automatically turns off the car. So a little advice for you is that when you unlock your car and you get in, put the key fob in your purse or in your pocket. That way, if you ever are carjacked, or for whatever reason, you're no longer in the car, the car is going to stop. It's not going to keep going. Anyway, that led to a standoff. When the car stopped, it led to a standoff with the 18-year-old inmate in the car. And he would try to lock the doors, but because this guy had the key fob, he could unlock the doors. So when the officers got there, the guy would lock the door so the cops couldn't get him, and the, the person whose car was taken could unlock the car and let the cops in. Stevenson then managed to flee into the woods, dodging an officer's gunshot, but he was found within an hour. And now he's back in jail in Darlington County on a hit-and-run charge, and uh, he also is going to be charged with escape, carjacking, and resisting arrest. Keep your car fob in your pocket or in your purse, folks. You know, see, we're saving a life. And a little carjacking advice for all. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to be talking about finding hope. And connection when you feel like it's a hopeless time politically in our world. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
Welcome back, friends. You know, after the November election, some people went into hiding and are still trying to uh, and finding it difficult to, to try to come out. Uh, since then, the ongoing, often daily negative flow of news is taking a significant toll on many people's mental health. Some are left feeling alone uh, in disbelief. And um, and yet, interestingly, this may be creating a condition where we could uh, have a unique opportunity or even an obligation to our democracy to get out of this isolation and to get back into community here to help us find some ways that we can make a difference and improve ourselves and the community is Dr. Sam Osherson. He is a private therapist and a professor of psychology at uh, Fielding Graduate University, um, which, by the way, is where I got my Ph.D. We're honored to have him on the show. Sam, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to speak to a Fielding alum. Thank you. It's it's an honor. I saw that and I thought, oh, how great is that? Going back home, <laughs> going back home. Well, this is a big deal, Sam. I, you know, um, we're from Utah, and Mitt Romney had mm-hmm. run for president, and I remember being so excited to think about a guy like Mitt, you know, being our mm-hmm. president. And then when he lost, it was devastating, and I felt like, what's going on? And even though I loved, yeah. I even loved Obama. I thought he was, I thought he was mm-hmm. adding so much to our culture and our world, and. Um, and breaking a lot of our boundaries and barriers, and then the whole Donald Trump thing. This, people, this is seriously impactful, isn't it? Who we choose as yeah. president, our political leaders, it, it really can affect somebody's psyche. Yes, I think that's right. Uh, the, the personality of a president, the personality of a leader in a company, in a corporation, the president's personality, it trickles down, and it has an effect on all of our well-being, I think, in, in ways that we may not always be aware of. But the flood of, uh, of news recently, which, you know, hinges so much on um, uh, adversarialness mm. and polarization. And, uh, you know, you're right, I'm wrong. He said, he said, he said, she said, this kind of splitting constantly in which people are, you know, kind of trying to think, well, who's right and, and where is the truth? It's a very uh, demanding political situation right now for people, I think. And and I guess it leads to hopelessness, uh, isolation, fear, insecurity, almost for some, I guess, some even some uh, neuroticism, it seems like, in some where they're, they're constantly uh, – they're they're constantly afraid and questioning motives mm-hmm. and um, what what is it what is it that's happening to us psychologically? Well, I think when you feel overwhelmed, one of the things that you want to do is you want to withdraw, um, or you want to try to simplify things enough so that you can make some sense. I mean, people are are uh, meaning making beings. We we want to make sense of the world. We want to feel like we understand what's going on, and when we can't. That is the, um, you know, really awful kind of uh, existential place where we feel like I don't get it. What is going on right now? So I think for a lot of people, you know, they feel like, well, I'm just going to tune out or I'm going to become obsessively preoccupied with, you know, what is on the news today and what is happening. And maybe I'll figure this out. Mm. And I think, you know, it can either lead to kind of uh, emotional exhaustion or it can lead to a kind of apathy and a withdrawal and, you know, the heck with it. I'm not going to deal with any of this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, both those places are not particularly good for our mental health because bottom line, I think mental health depends on feeling like you're a, a member of a community and that you can uh, feel some trust in the people around you and that the world makes sense. 
And so uh, when that begins to get eroded, uh, I think a lot of uh, maladaptive behaviors, to, to use a big phrase, you know, a lot of behaviors that really aren't good for us start to get rolling because we can't feel comfortable in the in the life we're inhabiting right now. Hmm. And it really is, um, it looks like a, almost a grieving process. It's, it's as if something has, someone has died. Yeah, that's really an interesting point, I think. Um, uh, you know what you said about Mitt? Uh, yeah. Mitt was the governor. You know, I, I lived that's right. in Massachusetts. Yeah. He was our governor. He was, a, you know, a fine governor, actually. And, uh, uh, you know, I think we identify a lot of hopes. Mm. The leaders we vote for, they represent our dreams for the future, what we want for ourselves and for our families. And then when things begin to degrade and go downhill, it is a kind of a death. It's it's the death of a, of a hopefulness. I mean, that's the biggest issue right now, I think, for a lot of us, which is how do you hold on to a sense of hopefulness right, right. now? Right. And, right. Yeah. And not to, you know, not fall into this hopeless place. And is... Uh, and I guess this is what we'll get into, Sam, over the rest of the interview, is um, you there are, you can pull yourself out of hope, hopelessness. There's, I mean, the process mm-hmm. of grieving is that very process, it seems like, of bringing in more light. And like you were saying earlier, one of the ways uh, is to make sure you're not alone. Community has the power to pull you out. Yeah, Um Maybe, uh, you know, maybe one of the first steps is to recognize, actually, that you are grieving hmm. uh, that, and that this is not abnormal, yeah. not bad, actually. You know, uh, there's a difference between being depressed and grieving. And I think we get very scared in our culture of feeling sad because we think we're just going to snowball down into a depression and wind up eating bonbons on the couch all day. Right. But, but, but depression is not the same as sadness and sorrow. Sorrow and sadness is actually feeling sadness. Hmm. Depression is the absence of feeling and a kind of feeling lessness, which is really very awful. But to recognize that, um, I mean, to, just to pick some names, to recognize that Mitt lost yeah. um, or that Hillary lost, uh, just to, you know, both yeah. sides of the yeah, aisle. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that this is very sad. I mean, I know people when Obama was elected who really felt terrible. They yeah. just, uh, it was very painful. They felt like Mitt was a stand-up guy. He represented some really important values, and they felt terrible. And then when Hillary lost, I so, could see it from the other exactly. side. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and I think um, one of the things we need to recognize is that, yes, this is uh, a... a uh, a loss and a grieving process, and that going into the sadness and recognizing that, you know, it's it's really sad that this person is now um, out of it, as it were. Although people come back, as we're seeing with yeah. it, all of a sudden now. But uh, to recognize that I'm in the midst of, I've lost something that I really value, hmm. and, and I'm going to be sad, and that this may go on for a while. Out of that, I think, then begins to come some sense of, uh, but I want to go on, and the world hasn't come to an end, actually. Mm. And uh, there's things I can do, and we can talk about that. Yeah. Uh, Matt, why, like. I, before we get there, why, why is it when we're feeling the sadness or sorrow and we're grieving, why is it that humans have this inclination to turn away from group 
instead of toward group. It seems like we would we would naturally want to have the group come help us comfort and mourn through it but it's almost like we we almost have it's almost like the dog that knows it's dying that leaves its family and goes miles away to die in the woods why would we rather mourn alone that's a great question you know um cultures as you probably know not all cultures not all cultures are like us Um, if if we had communally recognized ways of grieving yeah, you know uh, the the Greeks certainly did. And, you know, in in their theater productions and in their um, plays, th- those were not just entertainment, but they were actually communal ways of lamenting what has been lost and moving on. We don't have a lot of that culturally, and particularly in politics. You know, because we're in such a winner take all culture, where. You know, the NBA playoffs just ended, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. All you have to do is watch that for five minutes to think uh, it's the winner who's the winner. It, didn't, it doesn't do any good to have had a great season and uh, to lose the finals or, or, or to not get into the finals. What we're interested in is winners. And we don't actually have a lot of uh, culturally sanctioned ways of being sad together. I mean, obviously, communities do, and and religious institutions sometimes fulfill that role. But in general, I think there's a lot of push when people are feeling sad to feel a bit ashamed of themselves. Uh, How do you grieve a loser? Mm. And and to want to withdraw rather than to turn towards the community. Um, And I think politically, that's a big problem, actually. I do, too. You know, I mean, then we just wind up fighting with each other about why we lost. Right. Well, we still see that, right? We have we hear argument after argument, and it's almost like President or uh, uh, Hillary Clinton can't make a comment about the election without people saying she's a sore loser. Or I mean, it's it's the the competition still continues. So you almost can't even do a post mortem of the election to really understand. I mean, that happened at Harvard, didn't it? Where they bring in both of the of both of the. the teams uh-huh. from both sides of the election, Trump's people, they brought in Hillary's people. And those those two groups even – they were supposed to commiserate in a way. There was supposed to be enough deference and respect to the losers or to those that didn't win. And, the, and anyway, it turned into a fight for like the That's first right. time in history. They couldn't even right. – they couldn't even commiserate about it and learn academically. And so, yeah, you're right. It's almost like we don't know how to move right now to a healthy community. And we're, you know, I mean, it, it, that it really is intensified by the fact that politi- uh, politically, for reasons we can talk about, the country is so polarized and, it's, and the temptation to get into different camps and the, the winner-take-all mentality and the looking down on a loser and not yeah. wanting to be a loser. I mean, just the word loser. Totally. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's such, and, and even again, that's even been in the vernacular of our president. Um, so let's do this. Uh, let's take a break and come back, Sam. And then I want you to teach us about the power of uh, a small group and the power to mm-hmm. grieve with our with a community, to create a community of people that can we can walk through our, our pain with, and and how and how that heals. And actually, mm-hmm. it leads us to political action in some ways, but it also leads us just to kind of a spiritual connection, an emotional connection. Most importantly community, a sense of team. More with uh, Dr. Sam Osherson when we come back, uh, learning what we can about finding hope and connection in these political times. Stick with us. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is uh, Dr. Sam Osherson. He is a therapist in private practice in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and emeritus professor of psychology at the Fielding Graduate University, and uh, also the author of a recent book, The The Stethoscope Cure, a novel about the psychotherapy and uh, the Vietnam War. Uh, But uh, more importantly, he's teaching us today about hope and connection. In these political times, it's easy to, um, you know, when you're when politics isn't aligned with your views necessarily. I mean, it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to feel a disconnection to the world and where do I belong anymore? You feel like maybe a a person without a country. And uh, so, Sam, we're we're honored to have you here and excited to uh, find out what we do with this hopelessness. Right, right. Because um, it's painful, isn't it? I mean, it's it's. It's painful. And you see the pain acted out in a lot of anger and a lot of just cynicism. Yes. Well, I think hopelessness is in some ways the one, one of the worst human experiences because it just drains us of our resilience and our ability to move forward. Um, and I think a lot of people feel it now. But I think there are steps that we can take. You know, Before the break, we were talking about grieving and recognizing sorrow and sadness. Um, I don't think ultimately that grieving alone, uh, the grieving has to stop there at being alone. I, yeah. I think it really, you know, it's really valuable to people to, to kind of come together and find uh, a small group of, of, uh, of folks who um, you can begin to feel like uh, give you renewed energy and uh, commitment. Some Some, I could say, Sam, think... Well, okay, so do this, you know, turn the TV off, get away from politics, and just go kind of avoid it. When you talk about a small group to help us kind of mourn through it, um, should we get a group of like-minded political, you know, uh, refugees that have been (laughs) abandoned by their country? Or would it be better to just go get a golf group and go golfing? Well, there's nothing wrong with going golfing. I mean, this is not either or. You go golf. Do both. Uh, right. Uh, but what I'm talking about is something different. I mean, clearly shutting off the endless uh, news cycle on your TV is probably a good idea yeah. right now, actually, because yeah. there is an addictive quality to it. But, uh, but and I'm not talking actually about you know forming a you know a kind of small group of uh, necessarily of uh, political folks who are going to go out and take over city hall. Hmm. And I'm speaking, by the way, Matt. I want to say to Republicans, Democrats, Independents, whatever you are, um, I think that these are times when it really can be valuable to begin to think about uh, who do I know who may also be concerned right now with what's going on at the state level and at the national level. Um, you know, the future of my family, the future of my children. You know, I was talking to somebody recently who said to me, oh, why Why should I bother? I'm fine. None of the craziness going on in Washington is going to affect me. Hmm. And I thought, wow, what a sad and, and scary comment, because, in fact, it is going to affect you. Yeah, and it, it, is, it, it does affect you. It's happening today. That's right. That's right. And, you know, what's going to ha- the threats to our health care, the threats to our public education, uh, the possibility of getting embroiled in a war in the Middle East, you know, um, all of these things are going to come back and affect us all. So uh, 
Would it help if I spoke personally for a minute about my own experience? Yeah, please. No, do. Smokers? Yeah. Because uh, back, in, back in 2012, uh, a number of us uh, in New Hampshire, I live in kind of go back and forth to the New Hampshire and Massachusetts, um, and Utah, by the way. I spent a lot of time down in Moab. Oh, do you really? Wonderful place. That's good living yeah, down there, isn't it? The whole state. I love Utah. You've yeah. got an amazing state there, Matt. Thank you. Um, so... Uh, in 2012, a group of us got together to, to work for some candidates who we felt were really important. And we continued into 2016, and now we're continuing our work now, and we're um, doing some uh, activities. We, we have done things like, so, so here's what happened. We got together, and we just began to talk. And we didn't ask ourselves to do anything in particular in beginning, because I really think it's important just to kind of get – a few people together, and it can be scary for people to say to a neighbor or to a colleague at work, hey, are you bothered by what's going on right now? And can we have to take a cup of coffee and talk a little bit? But that's what we did. And we, we uh, invited a group of people to our living room. We're a living room group, and we've been meeting for a number of years now. And we've done things like um, we've taken out newspaper ads in support of candidates we believe in. We've gone and talked to our representatives, uh, one of us or as a group. We've um, uh, developed petitions and gotten neighbors to sign them. But before we did any of that, we talked about what really mattered most to us as people. And we got to know each other a little bit as people and began to kind of trust each other that we could talk openly. Because I think it's very hard sometimes in, in communities for people to feel like, well, what if I alienate my neighbors? Yeah. Or Right? I mean, it's so... So it's tricky. I mean, you do want to kind of reach out, but not in a way that necessarily um, leaves you feeling too exposed. Uh, We don't all agree all the time, and we don't demand that we all agree exactly. But the thing that we do ask is that people listen to each other. Hmm. Because ultimately, I think what people really want is they want to feel like heard. They want to feel like other people are listening and taking their their concerns seriously. So in the group, we don't demand that everybody agree, but we do ask that everybody listen to each other. And we spend some time trying to learn how to listen and not immediately assume, you know, I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, And so we've developed, you know, uh, before we did any action, we developed some sense of, uh, okay, we can talk openly here. And we do a check-in every time we meet. We do a little check-in. How are you doing? How are you feeling? What really matters to you these days uh, politically in what's going on? Hmm. Uh, what's, uh, what are you feeling about health care? What are you feeling about what happened in Saudi Arabia when our president went and uh, declared uh, a war on Sunni Arabs yeah. <laughs> out of nowhere? After eight years of trying to woo Iran to come to the table, now we're suddenly uh, uh, taking sides with a monarchy in Saudi Arabia. This is a political statement, I know, but it, it's... It, it, but it comes up. Yeah, and it's an example of, of, of the a tendency to get involved in a fight mm-hmm. rather than to work towards common interests and communality, you know, so that, you know, a whole younger generation in Iran who saw America as actually speaking to them, suddenly now they're all Sunni Arabs and we're supposed to, you know, side with Saudi Arabia, which is a brutal monarchy. So, you know, so we, we talk about these things and we don't demand that we all agree. But then we begin to think, well, what should we do? Um, we took a petition down to Senator McCain's office uh, in January asking him to 
continue to speak out about the Russian uh, influence in our country, which is actually frightening, uh, because people may not agree with this, but I think there's very clear evidence that the Russians uh, influence the election, and worse than that, are trying to subvert our democracy. Yeah. So we, we gathered hundreds of uh, local voters who signed our petition, and we, we took it to Senator McCain, we took it to Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, and a variety of other people, and gave them the petition and asked them to please continue to speak out. You have our support. And I think what happens from this small group work is you feel less alone and frightened because things are not happening. Things are happening out there, but you're not feeling like you're suddenly passively you know, like a deer in the headlights. Yeah, there are, th- there are things you can do. So, in your group that you that you organized, um, one of the first rules you basically have we, we always think it's about action. We got to act this out. But yours was more the the primary action was to create a team, a cohesive group of community that was safe to share in. Absolutely, action. We postponed action. Yeah. Because the the minute you say we have to do this, then if somebody's not ready for it or doesn't agree, you've got to split in the group. Yeah. So first, it was about political understanding, not even political, but just uh, group understanding and and the ability to hear and listen to each other's position. Exactly. And then, who are we? Yeah. Then what does that do? Yeah. Who are we? Where are you coming from? And and to have even if I have an averse uh, an aversion to what somebody's saying. I still can hear it, and right. I just, I just, I, I can allow it to be said. Um, I can still tell my point of view, but I don't have to tell it in a. Com- it's, it's dialogue theory. I don't have to tell it in a competitive way. I can just add my com- my position to the conversation. Exactly, and I, and I can relax because I'm not going to be forced to do something I don't want to do. Right, right, um, right. And, and gradually, what comes out of it is you begin to talk about okay. It sounds like here are, here are some common issues that we all are concerned about, and it'll vary. I mean, you know, a group of Republicans may have a different agenda than a group of Democrats, sure. or maybe not. I don't, you know, who knows? But what, what happens is um, a set of issues begin to come to the forefront. And in our group, we're very concerned about public education in the state in New Hampshire because there have been attempts to take a public tuition money, uh, public tax money, and pay for private schools, which has got a lot of problems to it, which I won't get into yeah. now. But we, we have educated ourselves on why the public schools are so important, uh, the success of the public schools and what they need. And uh, we have gone to the state house and spoken to legislators. We're making a video. One person in the group is uh, very good with video filmmaking. So mm. we're making a video on the threats to public education, uh, both nationally through Betsy DeVos and both and locally here in New Hampshire, because we have a mini Betsy DeVos as our secretary of education. And we're making a video and we're going to distribute that statewide. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing, actually. And here we are, a group of just folks in New Hampshire. Right. Yeah. And suddenly, we, you know, we have the capacity to make, produce and distribute videos. <laughs> exactly. You know? And in the group, you have connection to not only diverse talents, but insights, connections politically to other people that can become involved. So I guess, is this what is this what becomes the healing process, is it gives you everybody a chance to have a voice, to get uh-huh. your voice out there, and then to, to feel like you're influencing something out of this difficult time. Yes, and that you're not alone. Yeah, that, that you're a part of something bigger than you, that uh, that matters to you, 
and you know I think that gets us out of that isolated place. Mm-hmm. Does it? It seems like too. It would educate us, Sam, in how to be a member of a community uh, because it's almost like this is a. And I, I saw it at Fielding Graduate University where you were a professor. I, I you almost have to learn listening skills in um, a conflicted situation where it's hard to do it. But once you've been able to sit through um, and hear other people, it almost is a skill you can use everywhere you go. So I'm assuming Mm -hmm. doing such groups strengthens your ability to hear different ideas and, and and to collaborate with people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not bad for our marriages as well. No, exactly. Right. (laughs) Learning to listen when you're feeling kind of emotionally, you know, charged up, you know, uh, saying to yourself, wait a minute, listen carefully to what this other person is saying. You're absolutely right. That is a a really important skill in so many aspects of our our lives. And it really is what we lack today. So it's almost like we need – what I worry about is if if every group – if our groups – What I would love to see is a group eventually that could actually sit down with a a completely uh, opposite group, almost a competitive concept or paradigm, and and create some dialogue. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I guess a group like yours could maybe do that with another like-minded group from another political view. If you could take all those skills together and then start teaching us how to do it, that's your next book. Get, get on it, Sam. <laughs> okay. Uh, I've got my computer open, Matt. <laughs> There's an idea for you. I'm sure you've got nothing else going on down in Moab when you come hang out and in oh, New yeah. Hampshire. Um, is there – what else is – we kind of wrap this up, Sam. Um, so you, th- then if you want to, you can move your idea to political action, knowing not everyone will agree. Um, but in the end, what advice do you give the rest of us that um, – to to starting a group like this or like what if but what if I really don't want to go get too into the political side but I want the catharsis of the group well I think that's fine because everybody in a group doesn't have to be like in lockstep yeah I think it's very possible to 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 float an invitation to you know five or six or seven friends or, or acquaintances saying it's been a hard six months uh, how about if we just get together to talk about what's going on in the world and where we each, you know, and just just talk. It doesn't necessarily mean you'd have to run out with a banner. You right. Know? Uh, well, yeah, and some, some might, right? Some might be excited to move it to political action or whatever, political speak, but others just can be there for the catharsis or the the camaraderie. Absolutely. I mean, in the in the group I'm a part of, some people come just because they want to sit and talk, and mm. that's perfectly fine. And it heals, yeah. That's what I love, is it's healing. It is healing, yes. What would you give us as kind of the takeaway? What's the one thing that um, that might, and I guess this is a mix of your psychotherapy and your and being a professor of, uh, of such a, a kind of a distinguished group of people focusing on creating um, change in the world like you were at Fielding. Uh, what would you say is the one thing we can do once we start to catch ourselves falling into the hopeless state, is there one thing that immediately will start to 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 at least stop the fall? Well, I think uh, when you when you begin to spiral down, recognize you're doing it first. Oh, here it is again. I'm, I'm spiraling. Um, how how can I get engaged outside myself? 
Yeah. What's one thing I can do to, to, to engage with the other people outside myself, uh, whether it's going to a school board meeting or going to uh, Planned Parenthood and telling, you, telling them they have your support, or, or I don't know, if you're, if you're you know, whatever it is, yeah. do, do something outside yourself and recognize you're in this spiral. Mm. And uh, Matt, I will also say for any of the readers, uh, listeners, I will send you information. In New Hampshire, we have something called the Thousand New Hampshire Living Room Initiative, Hmm. which is uh, a guidebook, a website to help groups, help people begin to take these steps to form a living room group. We're hoping for a thousand living room groups in there. And the website, if we just go look up a, a thousand... New Hampshire living room groups. We'll be able to find the website. Uh, not yet. Okay, you're, um, you're building it. Uh, yeah, we're building it. If you go to, and I'm going to give you a long one, Monadnock United 2018. It, it will you will get this information, and Monadnock is spelled M-O-N-A-D-N-O-C-K. Monadnock United 2018. If you go there, you'll get information on forming a group and how to do it. Oh, that's great. I think that's such a great idea. These these old living room groups. I mean, how cool is that? Right. And and then you got someone in your neighborhood that you can you can learn with and and vent at times, but also just listen. Powerful. Uh, that's right. Yes. Well, well, Sam, yeah. we appreciate you. It's great to uh, talk to you. I'm going to have to have you back on other topics as well. You're, you've got an abundance of knowledge. And next time you're in Utah or Moab, drop by. Check, come check out BYU Broadcasting. We'd love to have you. His name is Sam Osherson, uh, Professor Emeritus at Fielding U- Graduate University, also um, doing what he can in his way. And again, you may not believe in his politics, but... Republican or Democrat, uh, both sides could have a thousand living rooms full of people talking, communicating, brainstorming, and then those people would have influence on their local leaders and on local issues. One way to get hope is uh, understanding. Powerful stuff. We'll take a break. We'll be back. Stick with us. you boy you too stupid to do what your coach tells you because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner Play ball. welcome back friends you know it does come down to community and community don't equate that to politics right politics is about division uh, community is what we do when we come together to heal to fix to you know when the dam breaks the community comes together to to uh, heal, to save people's lives, to work together. In the end, our hearts are connected, whether we are politically or not. And it's too easy for us to divide everything politically because that's how the networks are set up, uh, not necessarily to unite us, but to, to kind of divide us. And so don't fall prey. Recognize the power of having conversations with other people, the power of healing. We've had on the show this idea of setting up community to discuss your morning, we, we've talked about it as as a, actually a healthy way to process through grief when you've lost somebody is to go to grief groups and to have those moments of sharing your heart. The same is true in our communities. So let's open up uh, some discussions and see if we can't start to create a change in the dialogue. That's one of the reasons we do this show. That's uh, hour number two. We'll take a break. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. We'll be back. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. This is the program where we give you the latest, the greatest on how to live longer, love stronger, lead healthier lives. This hour, no exception. If you missed the earlier hours, go check them out. You can look them up on iTunes, on TuneIn, on Stitcher. Go to BYURadio.org. Go to MattTownsend.com. You can go everywhere to get uh, the latest and greatest. Today, uh, we will be talking about um, men and how we set up maybe our children, our young men, to be confused about who they are because we tell them to be tough, no room for emotion. Well, it shouldn't be confusing. You just don't address the emotions. <laughs> and if we do that across the board, everyone's on the same page. We're good. Except, see, see, this is the thing. Last hour we were talking about how you should go express some emotion to your father, look him in the eyes, give him a hug, and say, Poppy. As a great legal mind once said, says who? Says who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> legal, minds, legal minds agree. Don't bring out your emotion. Um, our guest today... Um, we'll be revisiting an interview we did about how confusing that can be and really some, some you know, maybe better ways to set your men up to succeed other than just telling them to be tough. Yeah, we're seeing that with my, my boy. What do you what do you? He'll learning? occasionally be like, like, well, that's for girls. Why? Well, they're like crying and stuff, so that's for girls. Wow. And we're like, I wonder why? where he gets that. Ugh, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't do that. Yeah, I, I, I encourage wife. emotions and tears quite a bit. You do? Well, no, but it usually happens at some point when I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> when you're around, there, there's always emotion and tears. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Well, so we, we've been having some discussions about where he's learning things and uh, how do we unprogram him or reprogram him? Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, maybe you, maybe you let him just be him. You know, maybe when There's he that. cries, you just go look him in the eyes and hug him and say, look, what you're feeling is sad. You have sadness right now. Well, even at a very basic level where he's like, I want to have a Batman birthday party. I'm like, yeah. great. Your sister's going to have a Superman birthday party. He goes, no, she has to have a Supergirl birthday party. Uh, see, she's, I go, yeah. why? Because she's a girl. She's a girl. And it's like, so he's partitioned the heroes off that these are for his sister. These are for him. Yes. We shall not cross paths. He's, he's distinguished. There is a difference. And so there are things that boys do, things that girls do, but that's also gone into emotions. Yeah. And, and into how you react to things. You know, the, yeah. at, at one point he looked at me and he goes, don't be a girl. And I went, whoa, <laughs> where did that come from? Wow, you're going to have to straighten this out because yeah. that will get him in a lot of trouble yes, it will. later. Luckily, he's going to he, get pretty jealous, though, when Wonder because Wonder Woman's super cool now. So and she's if, killing if only it. his sister gets to have fun with Wonder Woman. It's all right. Spider-Man comes out in a month. He'll be fine. Yeah, yeah but what if what if Wonder Woman <laughs> destroys Spider-Man in the ratings? Uh, It won't. What do you mean it won't? It won't. You say it with such confidence. I, I know this to be a fact. She's had two great weekends. She's yes, destroyed she Superman and Batman already? Yes. And in a fight, couldn't she honestly beat Spider-Man? Don't know. She could. She could. Maybe. She has a jet. And a sword. And a sword and a truth lasso, does she? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it. Yeah. She's good. She's safe. (laughs) Plus, she's just, she understands human nature and emotions probably better than Spidey. Right. So she knows how to work him. 
So. She's got it. And you've already seen the one Spider-Man where she pulls his mask down. His girlfriend, some girl pulls his mask down and kisses him. Yeah, her name was Mary Jane. Yeah, Mary Jane does that. Yeah. Gwen and, Stacy tried the same thing. Didn't yes, go over did. too hot. Didn't work. Yeah. See? So. There, but there's power in there's power in women at, at bringing Spidey to his weakest moments. Well, he's a teenage boy, of course. See? Boom. Mm. Dead. <laughs> Dead. But just the idea that. He's attaching gender to things, right? Yeah. Like these are what boys do. This is what girls do. How old is he? He's six. Yeah. When it comes to emotions, he's already starting to do that, and we're trying to say no, not necessarily. Yeah. You're trying to edu- educate. Let's, you let's know what try I would not do? to. You you can cry if you feel sad. Cry. That's cry. the other thing. He cries at everything because he found well, out he can get his way. Well, or is he just six? Well, he's six, and so you're yeah. trying to say, I, I try to. You don't cry because dad said you can't have the iPad. No. You can cry if dad hits you with a if pool you get noodle. hurt. Yeah, not by dad, but They're like yeah, what hypothetically he never gets hurt with a pool noodle. You what? never injure a child. He's never ever. injured a child. So no. what? Um, what I might just suggest as a professional yes. PhD is uh-huh. I might just suggest you let your wife have more power and influence with your child. Right really? Now. She's I think got it. Am I the bad influence? You're saying probably. Wow. And I'm just saying. I'm not saying you are a bad influence. I'm just saying. I think your son will have more hope if your wife's more involved. But isn't life easier if you just don't acknowledge the emotion? No. Like we told you, you need to go to your dad this Father's Day, look him in the eye, and say, Dad, I haven't looked you in the eye to tell you how much I love you. Mm. Now give me a hug, you big lug. Mm. Then just hug it out. Hug it out. We'll have to see. And I know he's listening. He's not that. I texted him. They're listening. He's not that kind of guy. Well, the fact that you said you texted my father shows that you don't know my father. I texted father. your neighbor, and your neighbor went over and <laughs> there told There we your go. Father. Yeah, that, that, that actually happened. Darn it. <laughs> oh, well, we tried there. So we'll get to uh, teaching man uh, to be emotionally honest, to actually know how to share your feelings. Terry's riveted, dying to learn this one for Father's Day. Ugh. Also, um, coming up, uh, also some more empty news, Matt Townsend news, some of the stuff uh, you didn't even know you needed to know. We'll be getting to that. Earlier, we talked about uh, stories about, you know, if you have what what you can do on your day, your birthday, if you don't have anything fun to do, maybe mm. steal a car. We'll talk about one guy that did that. We'll see how that turned out for There's him. all kinds of options. Plus, a police uh, catch a speeder that's going 145, 144 miles an hour. We'll talk about that crazy blazing speed. All of that up next. Plus, of course, BYU Sports Nation and uh, a hero story at the end of the hour. All, uh, you know, to give you the insights you need. But let's kick it all off first with Terry and the news around the country. What's going on, Terry? Incoming Republican Congressman Greg Gianforte, who won the Montana House seat after assaulting a Guardian reporter. Do you remember that story? Oh, yeah. He has been sentenced to no jail time after pleading guilty to the charges. Instead, he will need to complete 40 hours of community service, 20 hours of anger management. This all out of the Bozeman Chronicle. Uh, Gianforte will go to jail, be booked, fingerprinted, and sign up for the work program. Wow. Does he have time for all of this and go to Congress? And he's got to go get sworn in as a member of Congress. It's a busy guy. Yeah. The U.S. Supreme Court on Monday ruled unanimously in favor of Microsoft Corporation as part of a lawsuit filed by customers who said that the company's Xbox 360 console destroyed game discs. The court found that the customers who sued Microsoft did not have a right to appeal immediately after a trial judge rejected their case as a class action. Procedure dictates that a class action status cannot be obtained until a trial judge has made a final decision. So on a technicality, 
they got kicked out. But it didn't say. The consumer said they met the requirements because they voluntarily dropped their cases writing for the court. However, uh, it goes on to talk about the technicality. But basically, they're saying the video game console destroyed their game discs. Huh. That hasn't been settled. Yeah. All the, the, the thing Did I, they blow on them? Usually that That's has worked key. in the past when yeah. they were cartridges, but when they're discs... Ah. You know what? With a disc, you put it in the toilet and you flush it and it'll wash it. Is that, is that how you do it? That's what they used to say. Do not follow that advice. It's not <laughs> how you do it. Okay. The U.S. Army has commissioned a $2 million study to test a commonly used injection for treating symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder in a medical trial that could pave the way for, the tr- uh, for treatment to get uh, an official endorsement. While the neck injections called stellate ganglion blocks... Hmm? Come again? I'm not sure what those are. What have that? already received praise from doctors who say the treatment is effective. The military has been reluctant to endorse the injections without a controlled trial. The injections have previously been used to treat arm pain and shingles. And for PTSD patients, they are used to control the fight or flight response by interrupting messages sent between nerve fibers. Hmm. Military doctors who have used the injections say it, their effect is obvious with relief for symptoms like anxiety, hypervigilance, and social withdrawal. Really? Researchers hope to enroll 240 patients in the trial. They said that 45 people have already volunteered to take part. So they could have something that they could give someone a shot to help with their PTSD, which is a big problem. How cool would that be? Yeah. You so they give you the shot before or I guess after after if you show but signs because pe- it's going to break your synapses so you don't remember the stories no. as vividly or at least you don't like feel them or have an effect physically on you as you're huh. remembering these things have flashbacks and finally it might sound like science fiction or a recent episode of uh, certain TV shows but a startup called Ambrosia <laughs> is charging eight thousand dollars for blood transfusions from younger people we've talked about this I'd like your Ambrosia please about 100 people have signed up for the re- to receive an infusion and uh, anyone over the age of 35 can become an Ambrosia customer, and but most are early adopters tend to be of a retirement age. Uh, <laughs> the the owner also stressed that it is a range of people and not just uh, people from, as this says, the Bay Area, since this is coming out of San Francisco. Wow. So the idea is you give me your young blood yeah. and I will feel better? Yes. The, as it says, the controversial plan, inject young blood into older people hmm. well, to make you feel younger. Hold on. I swear they're already doing that with what they call the blood bank. Yeah, sort of. Like, right? So when you go to the hospital and you get blood from a blood bank, I'm assuming some of that is young blood. Not the old curdled type, the young kind of vibrant. <laughs> the curdled type. Give me, that, give, me, that, give me some of that, that young blood. blood. I don't want any of that old curdled blood. It says the donated blood typically comes from teenagers, although anyone under the age of 25 is eligible. The company buys it for, its supply from blood banks, which also sells blood to pharmaceutical companies. So high schoolers donating their blood are not aware that it might be used on healthy adults instead of someone that's sick. You yeah. go to the blood bank and you're like, I'm helping someone right. who's can, in need. Yeah, but now you're just Not helping. some person who's paid $8,000 to do some boutique blood transfusion thing. Dude, now what you're going to have, though, is like some 80-year-old wearing a beanie. Is that what it is? Spinning a fidget spinner. And, you know, skateboarding in the front park till he breaks his hip. The plan is the company does not claim that it can cure aging with this. Oh, good. They want to recruit hundreds more people to research whether the transfusions can help fight a uh, specific symptoms associated with aging. Okay. 
And uh, traditionally, biological aging hasn't been treated as a, a disease, which makes it a challenge to study. As they yeah, say. we don't. Yeah, we just think it's just a byproduct it's of every other disease. It's part of life. Yeah, you just, you just get, get older. Old. Your cells wear out. So give you some young blood. There have been some questionable studies done that uh-huh. have shown yeah. some. You know, maybe this does Qu- reverse aging. I'm going to bet not. Yeah, these studies are far from definitive, and science has spoken out about their ethics of such studies. Sure which they see as taking advantage of the public's excitement and a lack of much evidence. Wow. So either way, they're still doing it, and then they're going to make some money. I mean that – again, I'm a doctor and all, yep. but it just seems like if this were the case, we would know this by now. Would we? Wouldn't we? I don't know. Have we not used enough blood transfusions in our lifetime to – all of a sudden when you're giving a transfusion from a young person to an old person, is it – do we expect a major change or is it just, wow, I don't know, my tendons and joints feel so much tighter now? Hmm. Is that what they're hoping for? Maybe. Okay. Or at least they're hoping people think that so they'll pay the $8,000. Oh, is that, the, is that what it costs? Yeah, that's a different thing right there. Yeah. You want how much? Boy, if that's the case, I got five boys, hmm. 20 and under, that we could suck the blood out of as much as you need. There you go. And I'll only charge 2000 Pint. It's a steal. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. That's some quick money there. Do do they have to – can I just take the blood? Because I can do that now. I've been a patient for a while. Maybe. Watch it on YouTube. Yeah, I've watched it on YouTube. I already know how to do my own surgery. Yeah, you can take out your gallbladder right now. You're just waiting right for now. a professional. Uh, it's totally – You don't want to take away work from somebody. I mean, yeah, I don't want to unemploy a surgeon. There you go. But at the same hand, it would make great radio. Oh, it would make great radio. It might even make great TV. Hmm. But I'm afraid, I don't know, I don't want to have to wear makeup when I'm doing surgery on myself. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. Hey, uh, Florida man allegedly stole his car on his birthday, stole a car on his birthday, but he returned it. Does it say what kind of car? No. Hmm. I don't think so. Uh, perhaps it was the idea of a present to himself, but a Florida man was arrested after allegedly stealing a car on his birthday. Torrance V. Boyd who was celebrating his 23rd birthday, is accused of driving off in a car that had been left running at a gas station. Like, I get stealing a car if, like, hey, that's a nice Ferrari. Right. I'm going to steal that for my birthday. I want that one, and you're selective about it. Instead, you pick up something by chance at a gas station. So he, you know, goes out there, uh, but he brought the car back to the gas station after a short time later, and then he ran off. Hmm. But he was nabbed by a cops nearby, and uh, was arrested for Grand Theft Auto, which, by the way, your favorite video game. Yes. And uh, taken to jail. Which happens in the game, too. So it's like real life. <laughs> so he just did it for fun because it's his birthday. Like, hey, what else was I going to do? The car was there. I suggest the game. Instead, you Nobody suggest... actually takes you to jail. Yeah. And, and you... it's a fun birthday. Right. And it's yeah. cheaper than all the fees you're going to pay to go to jail. There you go. So another suggestion from the Matt Townsend Show, just... Go get Grand Theft Auto. Do you think he got a beat up old Buick? Is that what he stole? Or well, he brought it back. I would assume if he like had a Camaro or a nice, you know, Corvette. A Camaro. Do they make Camaros anymore? Yeah, they do. They're uh, really nice. Then you wouldn't bring it back, huh? Would you? I mean, you just you wouldn't bring it back to the same maybe, spot. Maybe people, you, unless he's a nice guy. He's just maybe a nice you would guy. park it somewhere, secure the vehicle. Yeah. Place the keys in some place yeah. that's hidden. I like but, to do it on the back tire. There you go, and then. Call somebody. Yeah, call the police. There's yep. a black Camaro that I think was stolen from such and such a store. There you go. It's sitting here. The keys are on the back tire. 
So that way the person gets their car back, mm-hmm. but you also get away. Plus that just, you know, you're a good community thief. You're living the higher law yeah. of borrowing from a neighbor but returning it in better shape. By, and by the way, fuel it up. Put some gas in Probably it. top it off, yeah. yeah. Make I'm sure, sure this guy up. didn't top it off when no. he brought it back. It's just rude. Because imagine if you have to slow down to top it off. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, it was at the gas station to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know what? I, if I, Maybe he brought it back because it ended up having an empty tank. He just couldn't go any further. That's it. Maybe that was what it was. And he came back to fill it up, and then he got caught. Well, I mean, that's the other thing is why can't you – if you're going to leave your car running, make sure you leave it with gas mm. so people can Be steal the car the and have gas. We can't think of everything. We could try, though. Yeah, we are. Uh, helping everybody, folks. That's the goal of the show. Not just the criminal that on his 23rd birthday went for a joyride, but also for the person who lost his car. Hmm. And We, we for... try not to discriminate in these situations. Everyone's needs are important. Exactly. And also, uh, just a little shout out for the blood donor bank. Hmm. Uh, the old people need your young blood. So if you're a young blood and you have vibrant, effervescent blood, I need Instead a couple of that bucks. Curdled old uh, AB negative blood. Some of you have right. Give us a call. We're starting a new business. Young blood, we call it. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will be talking about how to teach a man to be emotionally honest. Instead of just saying "toughen up," how to let them share their their feelings, their emotions, and uh, still help them be a better man when they grow up. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, you've all heard the phrase, be a man or man up. Have you ever felt like uh, sometimes, you know, that might be yelled out to one of your kids if he got hurt on the sports field or, you know, our very own producer Terry once cried watching a Kleenex commercial about a, a nurse and a newborn baby. And all of the producers started yelling, man up! But shouldn't a guy be able to cry over a Kleenex commercial without it turning into a big deal? I mean, really, it's a, uh, it's a big deal. And I wonder if we're not stifling our kids and not allowing them to be vulnerable. And then later on in our marriages, we try to get the husband to be more vulnerable and share his feelings more. But we may have just kind of taught our boys that they shouldn't have emotions. And so when I saw this article by Andrew Reiner from the New York Times, um, it suggests that society's definition of masculinity actually may be damaging men's relationships and performance later in life. And I wanted to bring him on to help talk to us about uh, how we as men can be more emotionally honest and and how our view of masculinity might be impacting us. Andrew Reiner, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Matt. You bet. This is a cool article, and because I see it every day with the couples I work with where a lot of guys just don't open up. They don't, they don't feel like they can be vulnerable. Talk to us about what you see you know, um, is happening with society's definition of masculinity. You know, it's, it's actually really interesting what's going on right now. Um, 
you know, we really, for so long, um, I, I feel like what happened was really kind of like back in the 70s, <clears throat> you know, there was kind of this paradigm of, of younger baby boomers, you know, and there was, there was kind of more of an, an opening in terms of men um, kind of getting in touch with, for lack of a better phrase, what was considered their feminine side. Um, we really moved away from that, and <clears throat> I feel like we, excuse me, um, we're, we're kind of in a place now where that we're kind of operating from, like so much of our political discussions, from kind of polarities and extremes. Hmm. And um, I feel like we're still, we're kind of retrenching and going back to um, a lot of, uh, I feel like we're going back to a, a lot of old ways of, of thinking about how boys and men should be um, as as some of these kind of, you know, the gender discussion is shifting a little bit in terms of gender identity. And I feel like what's happening is that some, some you know, some folks are are really kind of hunkering down into what they've always known and, and, and saying, like, you know, this is what a man should be. Right. And then on the other, then on the other hand, we're starting to see um, commercials on TV for, <clears throat> like, packs and, and some of these um, deodorants aimed at, at younger men and they're starting to kind of to, to kind of push against that in terms of you know young men um, showing more kind of emotional vulnerability. Hmm. So we're really in kind of, we're really in an interesting place right now. And <clears throat> excuse me, the um, the discussion is is really starting to heat up. And thank heavens, right? Because I just I had a perfect example of this yesterday, Andrew. So my boys were playing in our yard, actually our neighbor's yard. And there was about five or six of the boys playing ball and everyone was kind of talking smack, I guess. I wasn't there and I'm sticking to that story. And eventually one of the boys got his feelings hurt. And he, by the way, which happens probably thousands of times a day in you know backyards. And he, he left and he went home. And then um, the mom, I guess, called one of the dads uh, at the house they were playing at. Then the dad w- and, and heard that, that they had been making fun of the boy. And then the dad, a really loving, gentle man, went out, talked to the boys. They all felt bad, asked them if they wanted to go over and apologize. They drove in the car. All the boys went over and apologized. And my son came home. And I'm sitting there thinking, would I ever have done that? And would we have ever even expected someone, a boy, to apologize back in my day like that? We would just say, let the boys handle it. Let the, you know, go. Next time that guy makes fun of you, you punch him in the face. But it's a different different age. And these kids are – and my son, I said, how did that feel? He goes, it felt really good. That that was good. Wow. And I'm thinking of this show today and I'm thinking – yeah, times are changing, and but we need to make it maybe easier to be adapting. Well, yeah, we we do, and you know, it's what's so interesting right now is that um, there's, you know, it's it's well, there, I mean, there's obviously a few things at play here, but one of the things in terms of adapting um, is that you know, it's not just guys. <clears throat> um, you know, we like to think that. Oh, you know, the women, women in our lives are, are operating from a different script and, you know, they, they really want us to, to be much more emotionally vulnerable and open. And, and sometimes they do, but 
there are a lot of women, very, very well-intentioned, well-meaning, loving women, who unwittingly kind of help perpetuate the script um, as well. And, it, and they don't mean it in any... It's never, you know, done in a, in a, in a, a mean-spirited um, or, 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 you know, or, or untoward way at all. But it's just that it's so ingrained in us, mm. the expectation. And um, <clears throat> I was... Um, you know, I often have seen and been in places where, you know, at games, um, you know, for recreation, athletics, and, you know, I hear the moms as much as the dads, you know, you know, encouraging not just, you know, the boys, you know, but the girls as well to, to really kind of tough it out and to get up and, you know, stop acting like a baby and da-da-da-da. And, and there really is kind of a... Um, there really is, as we become, it seems like as we become with this economy more and more competitive on many levels, and, you know, Americans have always been this way anyway, but it seems like a lot of this is trickling down um, into a lot of other areas that that I don't think it was as intense before. And there's just much more of a hyper-competition in so many facets of our kids' lives, and, and that doesn't encourage you know, really kind of a, an emotional honesty right? and, and, and a compassion and an empathy. <clears throat> and, um, and so this is part of the script that, that unwittingly, you know, a lot of girls and young women and women um, are part of. And, and so I think that sometimes they feel and, and give, you know, at times mixed messages in terms of what their expectations are as well. And again, I don't think they're doing it deliberately. I think it's extremely unintentional and very well-intentioned. But I think there's a lot of confusion. And I'll give an example of what I mean. Yeah. Um, so in this course that I wrote about in the New York Times that I teach at, 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 <clears throat> at Towson University in Baltimore, um, it's, a mas- it's, a, it's a masculinity course called Real Men's Smile, The Changing Face of Masculinity. Hmm. And um, about every semester... So far, about three quarters of the, of the class has been young women, and far more women than men. And what's been really interesting is that um, pretty much semester in, semester out, when we have discussions with the class, and especially with the young women about what their expectations are for guys that they might get romantically involved with, um, there's there's often there's, there's often a bit of um, a kind of paradox at play where, where sometimes they'll say things along the lines of, well, you know, I want them, I want, you know, the guys I'm involved with to be there for me. I want them to understand what I'm feeling and, and, and why I'm feeling it. And I want them to, you know, to understand these things. And, and I want them to be, you know, a little bit more open with me. And then, and this has happened quite uh, quite a few semesters when we've kind of pushed a little further and, and I've said, well, okay, so, you know, what, what happens when they start to kind of open up a little bit more and, and what does it look like? And, uh, you know, how does it feel to you when, when you see a guy doing that? And so when we get to the discussion about things like crying, which is taking it a step further, a lot of them have said, well, you know, and I don't, I don't, I, Frankly, it really just makes me uncomfortable when it, <laughs> if, 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 a, if my, a guy cries with me. And, yeah. and I don't want them to be too emotionally clingy. And, and one of the things that was so heartening to me was that one semester when this conversation 
that often occurs was going on. Um, one of the young men who who had this incredible ability to sum things up so concisely said, you should hear yourself. He said, you can't have it both ways. You can't, you can't expect a guy who, who really has not been in our culture encouraged to really kind of open up and share things he's feeling other than anger. You can't expect him to kind of have that breakthrough and get to that point where he feels safe enough to share it with you. And then you say, well, this is acceptable, and this part's acceptable, but this... It's like, you know, it's, it's like he said, it's like you can't have it both ways. It's, it's, it's like you're asking for two different things, and it's really, really confusing for guys. Oh, that's, that's great. And, I mean, yeah. that's true. And it's... I, I, somewhere there's research. I don't know if you've heard about it, that uh, women are always saying they want men to open up, and then when they do, like, like tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you're thinking. And then when they tell him what they think, it's, well, I'm thinking I just want to hug on you. And she's like, oh, is that all you think about? Or um, yeah. or it's like, uh, well, I'm, I'm afraid I might lose my job. And they, they talk about what they're really worried about. And a lot of times the, the ladies didn't want to hear that either. So you're right. I think there there's something to this. Why? What do you sense? And because, I mean, this class, what a great idea to at least open up the discussion and the dialogue you apparently you have a survival kit of many middle class white male college students today. Yeah, um, it's. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Could you could you restate that? I'm not yeah. sure I understood what you're asking. Well, I thought I thought somewhere in your writing you had a, an art about the survival kit of kind of the middle class oh. white male. Okay. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, really, it's um, you know what what we're talking about here is. You know, a lot of that, that survival kit that I called it is really, you know, a lot of the kind of standbys for a lot of young men in terms of um, the way that they embrace this kind of new thing called, you know, like masculinity for them. And I don't, when I say new, I mean manhood. That's really right. I guess, what I'm talking about. I shouldn't call it masculine. Um, you know, and, and, and really when they start getting into high school and especially college, that survival kit is... Um, the biggest standby is video games, and then they, you know, a lot of them will will often, you know, get into binge drinking, <clears throat> online porn, um, and um, and those are really kind of those are really kind of the main thing um, to cope, right? To cope, I guess, with their with their their inability to share their emotion. It is, it is, and and what's beneath a lot of it, really. Um, you know, we were having this discussion last night in the class um, about how when you look, talk about something like online porn, where it's, it's really a safety net. It's, it's a way of, you know, engaging with this kind of burgeoning sexuality of yours in a way that feels much safer where you are not dealing with rejection mm. and then the follow-up of humiliation from that. And, and really what we're talking about here, and, and I think this is true, I've noticed this from, from teaching different seminars, um, that really what, what's happening here, I think that, I think it's always been a problem for men, but I think that, I think what's really changing is that the stakes are getting higher as, as, um, and this is, I think a lot is happening at a lot of different levels, but I think the stakes are getting higher for young men, for boys and young men, because there, there's the ability to fall through the cracks more hmm. quickly and more deeply than I think in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And and so we're you know we're seeing this at a lot of levels, <clears throat> um, 
and not to deal with people, right? I mean, if you're dealing with pornography, you're not dealing with a real human and interaction and change and and instead you're avoiding. I mean, so it, it does, it almost sets, it sets us back. It does, it does. And, and you know, this gets into a whole other seminar I teach called The Search for Intimacy in the Age of yeah. Um But... But it's true for young women, too. It just, you know, it doesn't always manifest itself that way. Hmm. I do want to say, I do want to say parenthetically that there's some really, some really interesting studies that have been coming out that, that the percentage of young women who also watch online porn has been rising right. um, as well. Um, but it really does speak to this kind of fragility, this kind of, um, you know, this kind of emotional fragility that we, you know, as we get more and more disconnected from face-to-face interaction. Um, it just gets harder and harder to want to to open ourselves up, to expose ourselves to um, to rejection. What and, can we do, Andrew? I mean, we've got about two or three minutes, and I I worry. What can I do? Uh, I mean, I know you have a class. I think that's I think that's awesome. And um, but how do we just? What should we be teaching our boys about their masculinity and about their ability to feel and to be vulnerable? You know, I think that. Um, it's you know it's it's clearly it's an uphill battle, but I think that you know it it, it has to absolutely positively um, there's there's no silver bullet, but it has to absolutely positively begin. I do believe with parents, and that's no easy thing, no. because a lot of I've had you know I've written pieces and I had moms reach out to me saying, you know my son cries and 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 I'm a single parent and I'm really uncomfortable with it and I don't know what to do. You know it's it's got to come. It's, you know, clearly it's, it's coming from both sexes, and, and mostly men, absolutely, but it also comes from women sometimes, too. And I think that, you know, we've got to learn for the sake of our sons to, to really kind of to dig a little bit deeper, even though it's going to be uncomfortable, and to start to kind of engage them about new ways of looking at how they, how they deal with their emotions. Because the one thing that we've always made it safe to do is to express anger for boys and men. Mm-hmm. But what we've got to do is find ways for them to learn to feel more comfortable processing and feeling and understanding these other emotions that we often that we often limit them to you know limit them from having and feeling. Oh, and I, I think it that. really needs to. St- I sure. really think it needs to start with just feeling and processing, understanding other emotions they're feeling. I mean, almost like we do our daughters in a way. Um, more where we, uh, you know, we might allow them, or we, we I mean, I, we, we would want everyone to be able to do it. It's, but it's almost like, like you're saying, it's more inherent that the girl would want to do that. But you're saying express and get them to process and show and, and kind of go through the different emotions with them, and and I guess validate them, let them have that emotion. Yeah, boys, you know, you know, boys, boys act out physically. You know, because, you know, and, 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 and often in sometimes destructive ways because they don't understand the feelings they have and they're afraid of them on a very deep level because they don't understand the, these other feelings they have. And the one, the one way that's acceptable for them to act on emotion that scare them or frustrate them is, is in, in more physical and sometimes, mm. you know, physically destructive ways. And we expect that. Yeah. And, and we've got to, you know, we've got to engage them at a young age. To, to get them to recognize other feelings they're having, not to swallow them down, and, and to really kind of engage them and say, what is it you're feeling? And yeah. then, so what, what, where, what, do you, where do you think is, what do you think is causing this? What, you know, what are we going to do with this feeling? 
Because we have to get them to, to, to basically accept it as a part of who they are. Yeah, I love it. And the, you're starting the dialogue here as well, Andrew, so I appreciate that. Um, again, I, I appreciate your work. And everybody, go to the com. look up Andrew Reiner, and you can get all of his other articles and, and see the deeper discussion. Andrew, thank you so much. Such a wonderful, uh, serious push. And we need it, folks. Take your kids... And set them down and talk, or your grandkids, if uh, if you're beyond, you know, the child rearing years. But get down to those grandkids and let them share their feelings and help those boys understand their emotions. Masculinity is not about stuffing emotion. I mean, we might be able to do it. We might even be adept at it. Doesn't mean it's healthy for us always. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. It's that time, friends, to take that uh, journey into the future. Yes, with two of our uh, incredible talents here at BYU Broadcasting, we're going to shoot it down to BYU Sports Nation with Spencer and Jerem to find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Matthew. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. I told you the NBA season would end. You did. You nailed it. It ended. It's over. It was a better game than I thought it would be. (laughs) That was a great game, eh? Jared Smith. J.R. Smith. J.R. Swish. Seven three-pointers, including the last one. Seven three-pointers. Yeah. That was, key. They, that was keeping everyone alive. Hey, you guys have to answer this question for me. I did not know that Kevin Durant's mom was on the coaching staff Weird, right? of the dubs. But I, I think— I think I thought she was a player. She must be because I saw she her a lot more than I saw Steve Kerr or Mike Brown or any of the other coaches. Oh, I didn't realize that anybody else besides Kevin Durant played for the Warriors during last night's post-game coverage. No, yeah, it, it, totally. Wasn't it interesting? It was like this coronation for is Kevin it, Durant. Is that what it is? Because is, he had, you know, he apparently had had this goal since he was eight years old, and Stefan and those other guys had already won this before, so it just was Kevin Durant night. Yes, was, yeah. I, I love the comparison that uh, Colin Coward makes. Like, look, Apple and Google are already fantastic companies. Kevin Durant went to those companies and then did something good for an already amazing company. Yeah, so no, yeah, it, it was it's it was great. extremely uh, underwhelming the whole thing because it's like, yep, they won. They yeah. were supposed to. We knew this would happen. It wasn't like this very crazy, exciting, thrilling, yeah. compelling moment. Boy, it would have been... For Warriors fans, winning winning a title, surely. But Huge. for a neutral observer, I was just like, "All right, cool." Yeah, no, next. I was done once. Once you know, once I heard you did it. Durant was the guy. Okay, next. Who Who would have thought Kevin Durant could have led a seventy three and nine team last year to the title this year? Yeah, Pretty crazy. <laughs> who would have thought that? In my dream world, <laughs> all the haters, the Dubs will be broken up at some point. Yeah, probably will. Clay Thompson is the first to leave, and I hope he goes to San Antonio and enjoys Kawhi Leonard. Really, I kind of want him to go to the Jazz and Chris, with Chris Paul. Oh, oh are you kidding oh, me? Oh. Yeah, a new big three in San Antonio with Kawhi Leonard, Chris Paul, and oh, Clay Thompson. There you go. Then we'd have at least another good team that yeah. could compete for it, an NBA championship. It would be fun to have more than two good teams. But yeah, do you it, think it that would be a big? Would that be what would be a bigger hit? Losing Draymond Green or losing um, 
What's his name that you just mentioned? Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson. Draymond Green means a lot to them defensively. Yeah, Draymond Green is the villain for that team, and he needs to stay the villain for yeah. that team. Hey, speaking of villains, um, what about Rodman as the new ambassador to North Korea? Is there a better potential ambassador than Dennis Rodman? To I mean, Korea? does he, he think not? Of someone who we're not that worried about going in there? Totally. Like, no, 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 no. Take Dennis. Take Dennis. You guys can have we're Dennis. Like, you know what? If he never comes back, that that's you know, fine. That's fine. Things. Enjoy it, and and honestly, do, is will it give North Korea that big of an advantage? Yeah. He's he, hey, Dennis can hang out in uh, hang out in North Korea. He was a rebounding rabbit. monster, but I don't know what he'll do for North Korea. It seems like he's going to well, end up hurting someone. Who knows what the truth is coming out of the place? That's so true. So hit eleven holes in one, in one <laughs> round. Like, wait, Did you what? know that he doesn't even use the restroom? That's pretty unbelievable. No, it's it is unbelievable. <laughs> Literally, unbelievable. <laughs> you cannot believe it. He created his own religion. Oh, of course. And he's the head of it. He we is. shouldn't make fun of that part. No, I'm just part. saying. I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> I mean, the bathroom we can make fun of. He doesn't. He doesn't claim that it's a religion. Yeah, but but it is. It is. Did you notice when they have their their military parades? Apparently, they're finding out that a lot of the like the missiles are fake, or the guns. <gasps> oh, the, that makes I am shocked. The guns have rocket launchers that really aren't rockets. They're you know they're plastic caps that belong on you know yard equipment. <laughs> anyway, just to, just giving away some secrets. Super part. fun time. Have you watched the propaganda game, Matt? No. You need to watch it. What is that? It is a. It's one of the best documentaries I've ever watched, and I'm not a documentary guy. Really? I always thought you were a documentary guy. Nope. Okay. Only ESPN 30 for 30. Oh my heavens! I'm writing this down. Propaganda but after that, game. The propaganda game will blow your mind. Is it on? And it will bring a whole new light to Dennis Rodman being the guy for North Korea. Oh, it makes sense then, huh? Yes, 100. percent Is it on Netflix or yes. the? Okay. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I'm getting into documentaries, too. I think it makes me feel more, I don't know, elitist. Educated. I feel like I'm better than others Yeah. when I watch <laughs> That's good. a, a good That's documentary. Good. It's good to feel better than others, Matt. <laughs> That's did exactly. you learn that in your doctor school? I did. I, okay. As long as I feel better than you, then I am better than you. <laughs> um, what's on your show? You guys are still going to throw the show out today, right? You're doing yes, it. Yes, yeah. yes. And okay. there is at least yes. one former BYU alumnus that is feeling better than everybody else. Is he a baseball because player? he is better mm-hmm. than Jacob Brugman. Yeah, mm. and in the baseball world, he is better than everybody else. The pro's pro, if you will. And on the heels of what Jacob Brugman has done in the Oakland Athletics organization, making his way all the way to the top, we are asking which current or former BYU athlete will be the next to make a major professional jump. Ooh. Plus, we're going all in baseball today, as mentioned. Jacob Brugman will join us from Miami as uh, his Oakland A's take on the Miami uh, Marlins. Also, uh, Brock Hale, the top BYU Cougar prospect for the Major League Baseball draft, which Mm. is day two today, Uh, he will join us as well. Plus, a special Father's Day edition of Between the Lines. Kids Takeover in Studio B. Really? Your your kids? Kids Takeover. Oh, my heavens. This is exciting. Mm -hmm. I'd like to meet these little fellas. Well, you will meet them. On, on the telly. On the show. In seven and a half minutes. But really, I should just bring them by your office. No, you probably should. Or yeah. I'll just watch for them, and then when they're walking in, I'll scream. Okay. I'll just yell from the top deck. But remember how you're an introvert, and you don't want to meet anybody? That's that? so true. I know. I am. I totally am. 
It's so bad of me. I just go shut myself in the office, and then anybody that walks by, I, I pretend like I don't know they're there. People are knocking, and I pretend like I can't hear. You know Knock, it and is. it shall be That's totally healthy. You. I know. Along with feeling better than everybody else, yep, two things thinking I, you're better than everybody else, mm-hmm. that's totally normal. I think there are two things that take me to a different level. I'm yeah. just better than everyone, and I can avoid everyone better than anyone. Stop sitting in your office, ignoring the children, watching documentaries. In fact, you'd be perfect for North Korea as an <laughs> ambassador of BYU. Oh, wouldn't that be great? If only I didn't have to use a restroom. I've had so many people ask me. I served my mission in Korea. I've had so many people say, in North Korea? <laughs> yeah. What? what? <laughs> Come on. No! You, by the way, that would be fascinating oh, because yeah, you have, well. but you at least have a little bit of the cultural, uh, historical side of Korea that yes. none of us have. You can yeah. understand, you understand kimchi, is that what it's called? Mm, kimchi. Kimchi. Yep. Pickled cabbage with some spice. And you love it, I hear. Me. Do you love it? It is it? good. I, there are several types, like hundreds of types of kimchi. Is it good like, hey, look what I found under my bed, mom. I'm going to try it. Like that? Good or like good, like let's go to let's go to Arctic Circle. <laughs> More like let's go to Arctic Circle. Okay, yeah, it's that yeah. good, huh? It doesn't seem like you know <laughs> spoiled cabbage would be so good, but good cabbage isn't that good? Mm. I used to tell kids, I, I cabbage on my I used mission. to tell little kids that I was from North Korea. Oh, really? Because <laughs> most have never seen a North Korean, right? Yeah, right. And so I'm this strange-looking guy speaking Korean. Yeah, and they're like. Mom, he a North Korean. <laughs> North Korean is you're the blonde. Your parents are freaking out. Yeah, you're from the blonde what? North Korean family. Yeah. Are you? Um, do you have? Uh, is your is Un in your last name? Uh, are you an Un? Uh, no, I am a Jong. A Jong. Jong. Okay. Oh, you're a Jong. Yes. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Spencer Jong Linton. Oh man. It's beautiful. It just rolls off your tongue. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, it looks like it's going to be a good show. I can hardly wait. It's only five minutes away. I know you got to go. Over. Go wax on. Kids are taking over. Uh, many have said, by the way, the kids have been taking over for years on your show. Anyway, <laughs> don't want to be rude. Good to have you. Have a great show, gentlemen. Knock them dead. That's cool. They uh, they always have great shows, and apparently, kids are taking over. Father's Day uh, prelude. How cool. How cool is that? Well, we got so much we got to get to to uh, to get through the rest of the show. Um, so sure, we're running out of time, but you know we we still have enough time to cover a couple of stories. One story I've been meaning to get to is uh, this idea of 144 miles an hour. If you're going to go fast in a car, my kids always ask, "Dad, what's the fastest you've ever gone in a car?" And I say 120 miles an hour. And it wasn't my car; it was a friend of mine had a had a Corvette souped up with, like, nitrous oxide, and boom. He took me 120 miles an hour. Mm. 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 Well, apparently that's nothing. Uh, State police in Iowa say a radar gun caught a driver going 144 miles an hour on I-80. The incident happened the first week of May. Iowa State Patrol posted a photo of the speed displayed on the machine in the patrol car. The post said that the state trooper stopped a vehicle that was going a blazing speed uh, on a midnight shift. The patrol stated that a dark open road is no excuse for high speed. No details on the driver or the type of car that was speeding. They didn't release any details. To be fair, I've driven I-80 through Iowa and... Even going that fast, it's not a lot of excitement. <laughs> it's just, is it just open plains? 
And corn and nothing. Yeah, you can see forever. Like that's curvature yeah. of the earth kind of territory. That's why it's. That's why you can do 144. Mm-hmm. I wonder what kind of car though. They weren't. They're not announcing it. It wasn't my Toyota Yaris because that one maxes out at about <laughs> 80. <laughs> but even at 80, isn't it shaking? Like yeah, it, slightly. <laughs> something's not right here. Um, that's crazy. 144 miles an hour though. A lot could go wrong at that speed. Hmm. Mm, I don't think I'd do it. I mean, I've, you know, out here in the desert, you can get going pretty easily up to 100. Not a big deal. It's not like your cars can't take it unless it's a Yaris, of course. Nothing wrong with a Yaris. Um, as you know, we always like to end this show with a hero story. And uh, what better hero story than a Brooklyn who played a big role in the London terror attack? A college student from Brooklyn was in London restaurant during the recent terror attack that ended up wrapping his belt around a badly wounded man's uh, head to staunch the bleeding. The teen's dad said uh, Monday that Mark Kinsha Jr., 19, was eating at a restaurant when the chaos broke out and dozens of people ran into the building for safety. His father said Mark was hiding under the tables with 60 or so other patrons when he noticed a man profusely bleeding in the center of the room, said his dad. When he saw the gentleman in need, he sprinted towards him and tried to stop the bleeding with direct pressure using his hands, uh, said the teen's father. Workers at the restaurant assisted him, and Mark used his belt to wrap it around the area of the scalp and part of the head that was bleeding. The dad said, adding his son's hands were uh, later stained with blood from this poor victim. His son spent his summer's lifeguarding and had been trained in emergency rescue. His father said the man was conscious and Mark was talking to him about soccer and anything else to keep him awake. Mark, who was in London for study abroad program with Boston College, uh, desperately asked patrons if anyone was a doctor, if they could help. Nobody answered, so he ran outside the pub to ask for assistance and to get the police to come help... uh, take care of this guy, which they did after they had taken down the three attackers. He felt the risk of leaving his safety of the building was worth it so he could help this man's life. So he's the hero of the day, 19-year-old Mark Kinsha Jr. Um, You did it. And congratulations to you folks. That's what a hero looks like. All of us, though, could play a role of being there for somebody in need. You don't have to risk your life many times. Many times you just got to give your time. And that's why we uh, do the show, to help you see the good in the world. Most importantly, to motivate you to go out and be the good. Let's not wait for the rest of the world to change for us. Instead, let's change the world. That's the show. We'll be back again tomorrow to give you more ideas, more information, to give you a leg up in life. Until tomorrow, make it a great one. And uh, BYU Sports Nation's coming up next.